ho ho merry christmas and welcome to this extra special festive edition of caged in presents copla connections as always brought to you by the breadcrumbs collective and hosted by me petros patsilibus and our festive tree under the tree this week is the 2019 netflix animation Klaus or oh. but if you're new to this podcast and don't know what we do here we watch every single film in the collective Coppola filmography to determine are they the greatest film family of all time this week I'm joined by Russell Bailey of the amazing not just for kids podcast but more on that in a few moments Obviously, we will be uh, rifling through all the presents in this. We'll be checking the naughty and the nice list in regards to the spoilers. So if you haven't seen this film, head on over to Netflix to watch it now. So I guess all that's left to do on your father's behest is to head to a tiny small town that is riddled with a gangland war that has raged on for centuries. Befriend an old man who lives in the mountains who makes these beautiful, lovely little wooden toys and persuade him to join in your plan as you try and deliver 6,000 letters in one year. And in the process, create the legend that is Santa Claus as we make some Coppola connections. As the festive season is upon us, it's time to head to Smyrnsburg. Let's try not to get caught. <laughs> in a war of two feuding families whilst befriending a lone woodsman from the mountains as we talk 2019's Klaus, directed by Sergio Pablos and <laughs> Carlos Martinez-Lopez, written by Sergio Pablos, Jim Mahoney and Zach Lewis, and features a stellar voice cast including J.K. Simmons, Rashida Jones, Will Sasso, Joan Cusack, the late great Norm MacDonald and today's Christmassy Coppola connection Jason Schwartzman. The postman sent on this assignment to see if this film delivers is the host of the always enjoyable Not Just For Kids podcast, Russell Bailey. Merry Christmas for us. Come join me by the fire. It's a pleasure to have you here. How are you? I'm all right. And Merry Christmas to you too. I'm very excited to be on to talk about this particular film. Uh, but yeah, it's lovely to be here to chat about this film around Christmas because we're so close to Christmas. I'm getting excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I probably left this a bit late. I've kind of, I've been listening to your <laughs> podcast recently and you're, I think you said like, it's a month before Christmas and you're recording an episode. And I was like, <laughs> it, it really made me think, oh man, I need to get better at scheduling things instead of being like a week, two weeks <laughs> out from when the episodes go out. But uh, before we get to talking about the Coppola family in this film, um, Tell us a little bit about uh, Not Just For Kids. What, what, what's it about? What do you do over there on that podcast? So uh, Not Just For Kids is, uh, and I've, I've tweaked it slightly in how I describe it now. So it's about family films and the films you grew up with. So it basically means that I can talk about animation, like today's film, and uh, like classic family films like Free Willy or uh, Babe. Those are two of those we've discussed recently. And I can also cheekily talk about things like Terminator 2, and South Park, the movie, and Austin Powers, which are not family films, but also films that I watched when I was very young and, and shaped me. So yeah, so it's just basically it, during the first lockdown, I found myself going crazy because <laughs> I was furloughed and at home with my kids and nowhere to go. And I'd had this idea the October before 
to do a podcast about family films because I'm a father of two and uh yeah I um I'm a father of two and when you're a father you watch a lot of family films you watch a lot of these both films you loved and films that are new and so I did this podcast I did a series about this 10 years of animation between Toy Story and Home on the Range because I kind of had this narrative of western animation where it was um the birth of 3D CGI animation leading to the death of traditional 2D animation at Disney because it was like the success of Pixar and DreamWorks mm-hmm. that kind of led to um, Disney stop making 2D animation, which I think is a great tragedy because many of the great films by Disney are 2D animation, but Home on the Range is not one of them. <laughs> and several of those films of the era are not. And yeah, and, and just, I had really fun in my first series and it became something that I kept doing. So like I've done Spielberg films because I looked at his career and he's got so many films he's directed and produced that are family films. and. So like, you know, Gremlins for this time, but also Jaws, Jurassic Park, uh, the Indiana Jones films, Back to the Future. So many of these films are his or he's like worked on them and is affiliated with them. Then I did Studio Ghibli, which you came on for. You came and did uh, <laughs> Pom Poco, which I wasn't going to cover because I didn't quite know how to fit in the giant testicled uh, <laughs> raccoon film. But I did uh, and it was great fun. And I've recently done... 90s i did like 22 23 episodes on the 90s amazing covered like the stars of the 90s and certain trends so there was like a couple of episodes about about um animal films so like Mm -hmm. a lot of films about talking animals were in the 90s because it was kind of like the birth of cgi meant that we could have talking animals apparently it's one of our great uh developments of the 90s and next up so right now i'm doing christmas films because I love Christmas. So, <laughs> Me too, man. <laughs> I've covered some great Christmas films. And next up, after I do a little thing in January, we're going to do musicals. I'm going to dive into musicals. I'm going to wallow in some great films of the 40s, 50s, and 60s and go all the way up to The Greatest Showman, which, I mean, I'm not a fan of, but I've found someone who is. So yeah. they're going to come on and talk to me about The Greatest Showman. So, yeah, it feels that's like, what I do. It feels like a perfect time to be talking about musicals because it feels like sort of 2021 has kind of been this, like, rebirth of the musical right in the high yeah. tick tick boom and west side story it really is this kind of like wow like it feels like we've almost like gone back near on 100 years or something do you know what I mean it's like history really does repeat itself uh, one of the things i wanted to ask you regarding like being a father and like uh, watching like family films and stuff like that do you give yourself over to like new stuff or do you battle with that because i i sometimes battle with that thing of not being like with anything i'm into like i know there's like books as well i know there's so many books that i read as a kid and it's like i i I often worry like oh am i just trying to force feed my my kid the things that like i enjoyed as a kid or or or, yeah and how do you how do you kind of uh, embrace new films with your fa- are, you, are you for that or are you kind of finding a healthy balance between the two so um, I'll show my kids all the stuff that I loved my daughter was watching Jurassic Park when she was two or three because it's my <laughs> favourite film ever made and, and I showed it to her uh, she loves Home Alone 1 and 2 which we've watched recently like this week uh, yeah, so there are lots of films that I grew up with that I make her watch, like The Rescuers Down Under, which is one of my favourite Disney's and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But when it comes to modern family films, not the live action stuff. Live action stuff still tends to be pretty uh, ropey at times. Like 
I think the stuff I love in the 90s is because I grew up on it, not because I think they're great films. So like, uh, I know Mrs. Doubtfire has a lot of fans, but I rewatched it and I was like, this film is just okay and <laughs> hasn't aged as well as I'd like it to. But like animation in the last 10, 15 years or so has just been pretty phenomenal. And the film we're talking about today is very much a part of that, like this movement of stuff quite separate from Disney and Pixar and DreamWorks. These smaller studios, the the likes of Netflix being able to fund mm-hmm. these uh, animations. So like last year we watched, me and my daughter watched Wolf Walkers as part of the London Film Festival online. And, and it was this wonderful moment to be sat next to her watching this cartoon saloon. And we watched other cartoon saloons because of it. Um, she watches Ghibli with me and that's like some of their stuff's incredible. Not the last film they did. The last film they did was not, was 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 weak. but. <laughs> there are some great Ghiblis in there. Um, yeah, and there's this amazing animation that Netflix put out. Well, actually, there's two. So one is the Mitchells vs. the Machines, which is a Sony animation, but Netflix brought it and distributed it. And it's, yep. it's yes. my favorite film of the year. It's gorgeous. It mixes 3D and 2D animation. It's funny. And it's also kind of quite meaningful in some of the stuff it does with its characters. So that's a good one. And then there's this, TV show called Maya and the Free, which is this, I forget the name of the director, but he did The Book of Life a couple of years ago, which is another great animation. Yep. But he, um, it's this nine part TV show that's basically this epic story that's telling about this uh, princess going off to find these fellow warriors to go off and essentially kill a god because the god wants to kill her. And it's like <laughs> big and epic and there's death and it's all this other stuff. And my daughter has watched it six or seven times now she like will start it watch it start it watch it and she, she's in this loop fairly often she'll sometimes break out and watch spirit which is is not great it's not one of the great <laughs> animations of the last 10 years she loves the spirit tv show we went and watched the spirit film that came out this year yeah, and yeah, yeah. i love jake gyllenhaal but it was a test <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah this this tv show she loves it's gorgeous it plays with its format it's it deals with death and life and it doesn't have a super happy ending it has an ending that's quite bittersweet mm-hmm. um yeah no I, I think that there's a lot of stuff from my childhood from when i was growing up that i show her but also i think we're quite lucky that a lot of the animation right now is is exceptional like some disney stuff's good pixar can bring out some great stuff although soul was a it's not a difficult one film. to explain it's not because no, we we like, watched it last Christmas and I, we tried to explain that to a small child when I myself was trying to understand what I was actually watching. Yeah. Um, I, I was watching, yeah. I watched that with my, I watched that with my parents. Like, do you know what I mean? And we, we just about like, we just about got, got it like on the kind of like spiritual and like kind of like meta, <laughs> meta textual levels. It's kind of in the, 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 the themes that it's dealing with. It's like, it's an, it's an animation for adults. I don't feel like that one, yeah. that, that one's like almost, not for kids or at least i don't know i feel like they tackle that idea of death a lot better with something like um uh why is it why is it escaping me right now uh it's not the book of life is what was the uh pixar animation about coco yeah coco yeah yeah yeah. which is like has lots in there has at least it has like this kind of vibrant colors and kind of like do you know i mean action sequences where it's like soul i don't know it kind of looks uh, it has like it looks like a 
an Apple interface almost like for most <laughs> of it. And it's kind of got this like clinical look to it and like mm. the, the, the messages and meanings. Like, I don't know. Man. And like, cause it's from the director of inside out and inside out. I've watched several times. My daughter, she quite likes it because the main film is bright and colorful and has this like adventure storyline going through it. And then along with that, it's about a young girl coming to terms with, the complexity of her emotions. And there I am crying at the end when she's saying she can't be happy because you kind of flash back to the point when you realize that you're not always going to be happy. And it's a really sad moment that everyone goes through. Yeah. My daughter never quite understands why I'm crying at that point. She kind of looks up and goes, you're being a bit weird and keeps watching this bright, colorful film. Whereas soul didn't have that kind of um, attachment between it's like bright and colorful stuff. So like the cat stuff where the guy and the, where the two souls go into the bodies and they have a body swap situation. She loved that bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's it's just one segment and it doesn't have this kind of like a uh, connected story going through that that a child who's five can be like, I'm into this level. <laughs> a lot of it is like for us and it's going like, you know, maybe you shouldn't just obsess about this one thing all the time and a kid's not going to care about that. Whereas I'm like, oh God, what? Yeah. I've been into films for all my life. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... And I, I guess I want to like pivot the conversation to talk about like cr- Christmas films. And the first thing I wanted to ask you is, wh- when is it acceptable to start watching Christmas films? Do you do you have a rule in your household? Is it like this date it's okay to to flick on a Christmas film, or is it kind of, or are you kind of freewheeling if if the mood takes you, you're watching whatever you want? So I um, it's sort of lucky in that my birthday is in the middle of November. So I have a concrete date when I'm like, I don't want to do anything Christmassy until this point. <laughs> and then after that point, go nuts, go wild. And like this time, like, as you said, like I, so I recorded my Christmas episodes at the end of November and the beginning of December, which was lucky because I, I got COVID after I recorded them. So if, if, I, if I'd waited and I'd done it, I wouldn't be doing Christmas specials. I'd be like having a quiet couple of weeks and not putting anything out. But yeah. Um, so I had this clear date in November, but there are certain films that I watch at Christmas that I'll watch other times of the year. So like Die Hard is a film that I love any time of the year and I will watch at Christmas because it is a Christmas film to me. Uh, Batman Returns is my favorite Batman film and my favorite Christmas film. And, but I've watched like two or three times already this year and I'm going to watch it again in the next couple of weeks because I adore what it does. Uh, yes, there'll be certain films that I can watch, but then like, the Home Alones, the Klauses, the uh, the Muppets Christmas Carols will kind of be brought out from the middle of November onwards. And some of them, like It's a Wonderful Life, I'll try and keep to quite close to Christmas because mm-hmm. uh makes me cry. And uh, it's it, I, I think it's one of those Christmas films I've just got to watch once and get it into my soul. Yeah, and then I'm okay for another couple of months. So I've ne- I like I've never watched It's a Wonderful Life, and I think like this year is the year and i much to my shame uh, uh those those of you who might follow me on twitter would have seen i tried to watch a christmas film this past weekend uh, which would have been like the what 11th and 12th of de- december tried to watch a muppets christmas carol with my son whose reaction to it was i never want to watch this <laughs> turn it off uh which like might like might be down to the fact that he doesn't quite understand the use of the word never because anytime i try to put a jumper on him he says i never want it on and it's like i think what you mean buddy is 
I don't want it on. So if like, he's saying every time, he does mean he never wants a jumper on. If it's every time he's saying, <laughs> uh, he's just reiterating his point previously, was like, I stated it at this point, I'm going to state it again until he get it. No jumpers. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'm a terrible dad just forcing jumpers <laughs> on my son in winter. I uh, really need to reassess some, a, a few things. Uh, but Maybe he needs to feel the cold and then, you know, he'll like understand the importance of a jumper. Yeah, tough. Yeah, maybe that's what I do. I stick him out in the garden when it's snowing. Be like, <laughs> where's your jump? Dangling a jumper at the window, going. Oh, and just wear all your jumpers and be really puffed up and be like, I've got all my jumpers. I'm really warm. It's here if you want it, buddy. It's here if you want it. You just got to come inside and ask for the jumper. Yeah, maybe maybe that's what I do. Some tough parenting. Thanks, thanks for the advice, Russ. <laughs> um, so yeah, Klaus is the first like Christmas film. I've watched this year, much to my like sugar, and I've got like a kind of a list that I want to get through. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a massive Home Alone fan. I recently bought some Home Alone trainers, which uh, I think uh, I don't know. Probably a man of thirty shouldn't be buying. <laughs> I don't know, but I think they're subtle enough that uh, that I can get away with them, and they're they're comfy. So as a dad, that's quite important to me now. Um, so before um, on the Home Alone front, can I just say don't watch the new one? Oh, I, I have no intention. Home so. Sweet Home Alone. I've watched like we've tried to watch it twice. We got twenty minutes in the first time. We watched another twenty minutes, and I looked over at my daughter, and she has never looked less infused with a film. And I said, "Should we watch something else?" And she said, "Yeah, it's yeah, a fundamental waste of talent in a way that is impressive." Yeah, I, I think so. I There's a great podcast called The Bitter End who take franchises and kind of watch them to their bitter end. And they did a season on uh, Home Alone like a few years ago. And they, I think I was, I was watching along and like the first three are kind of ingrained in my brain anyway. Like I think, yeah, being born in 1991, I kind of like fell into that catchment age where like, free is passable and i kind of explained it to myself in later life as well it's like oh well like john hughes still had some involvement in that film i think like <laughs> he wrote he might have like written the story or something like that so like he's kind of like he's got a foot in the door like and it's 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 got some good pratfalls and stuff like that and a very early scarlett johansson performance and despite the kid not actually being home alone it's just he's off sick and there are moments where his parents aren't at home because they're at work. Uh, but like, yeah, uh, when it came to, I, I, so I decided to watch number four and I think I had a similar experience to what you're describing for the new one where like not even 20 minutes, I think 10 minutes. I was like, this feels gross. Like this feels <laughs> gross. And I think that one as well is like, it's supposed to be Kevin McAllister as well. And it's like I don't, I don't think so, buddy. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the Coppola family. And as it's Christmas, uh, I wanted, to, yeah, I wanted to ask you about what, what, what do you think that a Coppola family Christmas is like, Russ? Oh, uh, so I think, as with a lot of Christmas family, it's going to be quite big. Um. It's definitely a Winefield affair, given, you know, what his kind of other avenue has been. I think there's going to be a lot of wine. Uh, I think the Secret Santa will be incredible. I think you'd get, like, <laughs> some of the most incredible gifts, like some rare, never-before-seen stuff is in there. 
And I think they'll have a talent show. I think they'll have this like amazing talent show where everyone has to come and do a bit. And if it was televised, it would get great viewing figures. Uh, and of course, as with all extended families, there's an underlying tension. Maybe not, you know, succession levels of tension between <laughs> the family, but um, I think it's a tense affair. I, I think, yeah, there's going to be some tension in there. Yeah, I, I think the boyfriends and girlfriends who are fleeting parts of the family will uh, add flavors. <laughs> I, I, I think to your point of like the talent show, that's a, that's a really good point to bring up because I know that when uh, all of the kids were young, like so Sophia, Roman, uh, Jason was involved, Francis Ford Coppola would get them to kind of write like one act plays or like kind of adapt to one act play. And then over the weekend, they'd kind of have like theatre camp almost. And then, like, they would have a few days to prepare it, like, kind of get it, get it ready, and then would, uh, like, perform it. And there's a great story of Jason Schwartzman. Like, he kind of adapted, like, a Tennessee Williams play or something like that, kind of made it, like, this, like, or Tennessee Williams-esque play about these, like, two men in a bar. And it's like, you knew he was destined at that moment to play Max Fisher, for one. And then, like, you kind of, like, you knew he was destined to become this kind of like, I don't know, eccentric but great like kind of comedic actor who kind of like yeah, get, like kind of tear, tears through films. Like he's he's got an amazingly long filmography for somebody who's only been doing it since nineteen ninety eight or something like that. Um, I de- yeah, and I definitely agree with you that there definitely will be. I reckon there'd be some tensions uh, around that table. Um. <laughs> I didn't send you this, but is there anything like from a, I don't know, any film that any of the Coplas have been in? Like, uh, what would be your ultimate gift from one of them? Like, would there be like a kind of like a uh, movie prop or something like that that you would love to own, Russ? Oh, what would I love to own? Um, I mean, some of the stuff that gets worn in Bram Stoker's Dracula is just beautiful. Some of those outfits are phenomenal. I'd love to dress like, Gary Oldman in that film. I mean, I couldn't pull it off like Gary Oldman can pull it off in that film. Uh, maybe the whiskey. Maybe the whiskey that he sells in Lost in Translation would be a nice thing to have in the cabinet. I mean, Ooh, I don't know definitely. if it's good whiskey, but it's it's it would just be like, and this is the whiskey from Lost in Translation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. Yeah, so I think it's the clothes from uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula or the whiskey from Lost in Translation because... And at one, I could look fabulous as I go around like Tesco's or Asda <laughs> trying to do a shop. I just look resplendent in what Gary Oldman wears in that film. <laughs> I, I, I have an image of you now drinking whiskey by the fire on Christmas, uh, wearing that red kind of armor that that that, yeah. <laughs> that Gary Oldman wears, and that that kind of weird like flesh. <laughs> yeah. like, do, you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Like the kind of absolutely flesh looking armor. I think that would be a a perfect a perfect look for us and uh yeah i might have to do a really bad photoshop job of that uh put it, put it on the socials uh so what do you reckon like the 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 table setup is like who's sitting where is there kind of like i don't know is it a big long table is it more of like a kind of spread out affair is there a kid's table is there like an is there like an a b c take do you know what i mean like if you've got an oscar you can sit at the top table I, I think there's a top table. I think that the talent, the ones that have been like, you know, you, you've got your Francis, you've got your Sophia, probably Nick, Nick is up there because, you know, he's he's a pretty, on a good day, a phenomenal actor. And Touchwood will be Oscar nominated again in about 
a month's time whenever the Oscars come out mm-hmm. and the nominations. Uh, yeah, no, I, so I think there's a top table. I think then there's like uh, the rest and the rest are like on tables like at a wedding. And I think it's like mostly family stuff with like, you know, a kid's table is pushed out on the other end, but it's mostly going to be the families. The family units are going to be there, but the top tier, the creme de la creme of the Coppola family are up there at the top. Mm-hmm. And each get to make speeches like a wedding. Like they get to make a speech about Christmas, and each one has a different flavor. I'm assuming Sophia is quite different from her father, and I think that uh, Nicholas Cage's one would be a sight to behold. Uh, yeah, Nicholas Cage's one would probably be like a he'd have an extract from an Edgar Allan Poe poem or something like that, and like somehow like the <laughs> the broken heart of man. Like, tells us about at Christmas time that we must respect the crows, but we must also respect the land and the family. And yeah, you can imagine Nicolas Cage going on some kind of soliloquy like that, some real real off-the-wall shit. And then I find it interesting with Francis Ford Coppola in the fact that uh, obviously he has a winery and you, you kind of look at his children and... So his niece, Gia Coppola, has a wine. Sophia Coppola has a wine. And then there's Roman, who doesn't have a wine. So I always have this image. It's totally fictional, I think, in my head. But I feel like Roman Coppola is, like, relegated to the kids' table at any function. Do you know what I mean? He's kind of like, where's your Oscar, Roman? Do you know what I mean? Like, what what, like, what are you He's doing? there by the air conditioning unit. And you've got that loud rattle of the air conditioning unit <laughs> that's like ruining his meal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he goes up to speak to his dad and he kind of like shoes him off like he's one of the hired help back to the kitchen to get him more <laughs> bread rolls or something. Um, so what do you think the Coplers are eating at Christmas? Are they Are they traditional? Are they keeping it Italian? Is there pasta involved or is it turkey or the trimmings? Uh, I think it's probably turkey with all the trimmings. I mean, in my head, I've now got the... Uh, we watched the Vicar of Dibley Christmas special with the multiple Christmas meals last night because it's a great comfort watch. And there's one where they've got like a pasta course. So maybe there's a pasta course. Maybe there's a fish course, but there's definitely got to be turkey. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's the family wine, you know. Mm-hmm. There's definitely yeah. going to be bottles of the family wine and a lot of wine will be drunk. But yeah, I think it's going to be turkey because, you know, it's Christmas. Yeah, I, I, I reckon there'll definitely be like a light pasta dish, you know, like these kind of like nice ones where it's just like a kind of spaghetti or a tagliatelle with like a nice olive oil and some kind of herbs involved. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, it's getting me hungry. Uh, <laughs> so you're invited to this meal, by the way, Russ. Um, who's, the, who's the main person you would love to sit next to at the Coppola family Christmas? Now, I mean, I would love to pick someone like Sophia or Francis or any of the other ones, but I'm going to pick Gia because I want to wrangle Andrew Garfield's number so that I can then gush to him about his film. So it's, it's, it's purely opportunistic on my part. I'll talk to her. I'll wallow in her strange films and, and all that stuff. But really, I want to talk to Andrew Garfield because, I mean, like his, I just want to talk to him about the films he's made. He seems like a lovely guy. You know? Yeah. So that's what I'd be doing. I'd be like, I'd be buttering her up to get Andrew's number just so I can have a chat with him. Maybe invite him onto the podcast so we can talk about his experience with Spider-Man because, <laughs> I mean, those films are interesting. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I, yeah, that's that's my pick. I was thinking recently, I was like, oh, so like, uh, like I always have like pie-hide ideas of like, oh, it would be amazing to interview this person, like interview like big names and stuff. Like that. I'm like, oh, but I'd have to do it with a reason for the podcast. I was like, <laughs> oh andrew garfield i've got two 
He's in the Amazing yeah. Spider-Man, which is like uh, DOP'd by John Swartzman, and is in Mainstream, which is obviously directed by Gia Coppola. And it's like, yeah, yeah. I think I'd like to speak to him most to just to hear which accent he gives. Do you know what I mean? Because he's kind of got this <laughs> transatlantic. Yeah. Like sometimes when he's in American interviews, it's a lot more uh, Americanized. When he's in like British interviews, he's all of a sudden like starts calling people mate and like like starts do you know what I mean like drop dropping dropping words and not speaking so proper and stuff like that um and like because i don't love him if he is not lovely if he is a bit of a bit rude a bit of an asshole i'll be fine because you know he <laughs> is my least favorite it i love him as spider-man his films on on i don't ever watch them because no but uh, I, I just kind of want to talk to him about like something like into this under the silver lake which I mean, I hated the first act, then like sort of it was so long that I ended up loving it. Or like Tick Tick Boom, where his performance is incredible and, and yeah, yeah, I think he's a really talented performer, but if he turns out to not be a nice guy, I'm like, oh, it's not in the world. It's fine. <laughs> like, I had a thing I fancied Army Hammer for a very long time. He was like my man crush, and then it came out that, you know, he's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, Oh yeah. no, and yeah. I had to mourn that this year, the loss of yeah. My man crush, and then pivot hard into Henry Carville because you, know. <laughs> you need you need some some muscle bound <laughs> hunk in your life, definitely. Yeah, um, man, who's good in a suit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, oh, yeah, I definitely wouldn't be your man, Russ. I, I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> uh, so, at this Christmas meal, um, they're doing Secret Santa, and you've got jason schwartzman as your pick who who would have thought it we're talking about a jason schwartzman film and he's the person you picked out of that hat what would you buy jason schwartzman as a christmas present russ it's a tough one i assume he's a cinephile i assume he loves films uh so i would either get him the bong joon ho box set that came out this year that i i haven't got myself but would dearly love it so it's all of bong joon ho's films bar one bar Okja, because uh <laughs> Okja doesn't get a, a release, sadly. Or I'd give him a copy of my favourite film of the year, which is The Mitchells vs. the Machines. One of those two. Like, I, I think that the greatest gift you can give someone is a DVD or a Blu-ray myself. As a, as a lover of physical media, mm-hmm. that's what I'd give him. Or I would give him... So I've got a friend gave me, and it's a really random gift to give him, but I give it because I love it. It's the the... I've got this poster of a front cover of a newspaper from Batman Returns mm-hmm. of like the penguin saying he's found his parents. I give him that because I think it's a really great yeah. poster, but um, I think it'd be like, oh, that's a pretty neat film. Thank you. Whereas I think the other ones are more just like, these are great films. Watch them. That's that, that, that's perfect. Yeah. I don't know what I would get Jason Schwartzman. I, he, he seems like a man who kind of probably has everything, probably into, into weird things. I think I heard him on an interview saying like he he's really into like model building and like origami and stuff like that he kind of like picks up little little hobbies and then kind of drops them so i don't know maybe i'd buy him like a ship in a bottle maybe like maybe that that could be his spark a new a new thing for him i imagine he's got a kind of uh, yeah when it when it came to designing the, the interiors of his house he called up his buddy wes anderson to be like how do i get this to look aesthetically pleasing and uh and and wes came over and said well what you got to do is like uh I'll, I'll bring around a mirror so everything's symmetrical and uh, i'll show you how it's done um so we've talked about christmas with the coplers but i want to know how did you first become aware of them as this 
massive film family. There might have been, like, what was your entry point? Was there a person? And when did you kind of figure out the, whoa, there's more of them? I, I guess it's mostly osmosis in its own way that because I read Empire and Total Film and I have read those since I was sort of 12 or 13, they kind of will mention the Coppola family fairly often or they'll talk about films they've made or they're like, like I knew that The Godfather was a masterpiece long before I watched it. And I knew that Coppola had this run of films in the 70s and 80s that were masterpieces long before I saw any of them. In fact, my entry point to his work is Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I definitely watched when I was like 12 or 13. My dad definitely lent me a copy of it and was like, <laughs> you'll like this. So my dad used to do that with films. He'd watch them and then be like, this, this is a film you should watch. So he'd give me like, you know, Alien or Event Horizon or uh, The Thing or something like that. And it definitely would have given me Bram Stoker's Dracula because it's, you know, great fun and it's big and colourful and gothic and weird, and there's yeah, weird energy to it. He loves films with weird energy. So I think I saw that before I saw The Godfathers, before I saw any of the more you know, classic uh, Francis Ford films. Uh, and we studied um, Sophia Coppola at university fairly early on, so I did film and literature at university, and one of our first films was Lost in Translation, which I'd watched before. Um, yeah, I'd watched it before, uh, but struggled with, and then we had to watch it twice as part of this course. I still have never really fallen in love with that film, but I got more out of it when I was studying it because you kind of get the beauty of the of the piece, but the piece still does, doesn't do it for me. So it's probably, yeah, probably reading Empire and Total Film, they would definitely have mentioned the Coppolas, uh, and then you start to understand there are other family members involved. So like, you know, Jason's name will pop up or... um yeah, and then obviously with Nicolas Cage, I mean, he was probably a fixture of my teenagehood because of like Face Off, Conair, and The Rock. I definitely watched those as a teenager a lot. Uh, yeah, those those kind of those are the films that I, I would have watched as a teenager and been like, "Yeah, this is amazing yeah, yeah, cinema." Yeah. <laughs> and like, um, but yeah, so it's 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 got to be Empire and Total Film, and it's got to be like Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's got to be my entry point in this family. Uh, and the rest of the time, it's just it kind of it kind of builds up and up and up. And then you asked me to come on, and I looked at the family tree you gave me. And, oh, it's actually incredibly complicated. And there's a lot of names on there that yeah. you know I hadn't thought about, like Spike Jones, who you know, phenomenal director, um, Henry Twig, that he was it was linked, and then it's things like the composers yeah. and the director of photographies that are all linked, and everything that links in is really interesting. But yeah, yeah, I think that. Uh, that thing of Spike Jones is really interesting, especially in relation to Lost in Translation, because if you kind of look at that in the chronology of uh, Sophia Coppola's life, it's you can you can cherry pick that Lost in Translation is somewhat about Spike Jones and somewhat I think possibly about Quentin Tarantino because they were kind of like the two people that yeah. that, that she had dated before. Uh, yeah, before, 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 yeah, yeah, the two people before she dated before making that film. So I guess like, does that mean you get to talk about Tarantino? Um, all, no, because like not... he was he wasn't married. So Spike okay, Jones, that's, Spike, that's the Spike Jones was like, as we talk about Christmas, he he definitely would have spent a couple of Christmases, I guess, at the Coppola family estate. That's why I'm only covering <laughs> Spike Jones for that brief period when he was married so uh being john malkovich an adaptation of the only two films he made when they were together so 
Um, this is a this is an off uh, off the wall question. Have you ever met a Coppola, Russ? Have you ever bumped into yeah? Have you ever bumped into Roman Coppola whilst you're walking down Oxford High Street? Have you ever have you ever <laughs> you, you ever you ever bumped into Gia Coppola whilst you're in Marks and Spencers? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, sadly not. I, I've never bumped into any of them, although I had a colleague for a couple of years uh, where I currently work and her parents lived in a, one of the villages that Nicolas Cage has a house in. Amazing. So that's as close as I've got to him. And it took a lot for me not to just be like, I'm going to travel to this village. I'm going to hunt him down. I'm going to talk to him. But yeah, it was it was um, that's the closest I've got to them. Uh, <laughs> but sadly, none of the other copplers have ever come into my world. Well, Sadly. there's still time, Russ. Don't worry. There's still, there's still time. time. For, there's still time for you. There's still time for me. So we'll get there. Don't worry. Um, Have you met any of them? No, no. The closest I've come, like, to meeting uh, a Coppola. Uh, no, it's like just like I'll let I'll let I'll, I'll let this I'll let I'll, I'll pull back the curtain and reveal this. There is a like I wrote a list at the beginning of the the year of things I wanted to achieve on the podcast. And one of them was to speak to a Coppola, like for the podcast. Uh, and I'm yet to do so. I guess the closest I've come in some ways is like I recently interviewed uh, the head of like restoration and the uh, American Zoetrope Archive, who like uh, uh, James Mikoski, who works very closely with Francis Ford Coppola. So I like to think in some way that like, the Coppola family know about me. Like I, 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 I email. I had emails with Nicholas Cage's manager this year. Like, got declined. But like, uh, there's part of me that is like, <laughs> Nicholas Cage knows about this podcast. Do you know what I mean? I think like I don't know. Yeah. Twenty twenty two. Who knows? Maybe. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'll be able to speak to a Coppola. Uh, um, a few of them follow. A couple of them follow me on Twitter. Say. So. Maybe I'll I'll muster up the courage and be like, "Hey, come on the podcast, let's hang out." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe um, you'll get Gia if they do a proper uh, advertising, a uh, proper like press tour for mainstream. I mean, I don't know what's happening with that film. It it was premiered a while back, and it seems to be somewhere in the ether. Well, I I think it's out because I listened to an interview recently with Andrew Garfield. I think they're the person they pushed out for the press tour. Because he was on the newest episode of the Empire Film Podcast, talking about mainstream and dodging questions about Spider-Man: No Way Home. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what would have been the first Jason Schwartzman film you would have seen, Russ? So, I, uh, as with a lot of film people, keep a letterboxed account and try and tick off all the films I've watched. And I had a look at that, and it, it's probably, I mean, the earliest one that he's released is Rushmore, but I think the film that I watched was um, I Heart Huckabees, because I okay. saw that when it came out in the cinema. So I think the first Jason Schwartzman I saw was I Heart Huckabees. And I actually quite have a soft spot for I Heart Huckabees. I mean, it's got all the problems of a, of a philosophical film from its time, but it, I kind of have a soft spot for it. I think it's quite fun. I think it's quite enjoyable to watch relatively famous actors star in this film that's mm. kind of weird and has ideas going on in it. And even if it doesn't all hold together, even if it's a bit like, you know, stranger than fiction in that it's, it's um, simplifies its ideas to, to tell 
a fun romp. I see. I, I so it has to be I I heart Huckabees. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't think I'd seen Rushmore before that. I mean, like I've seen uh, all the Wes Anderson films, so there is that. But yeah, it's probably I, I heart Huckabees. A, a film I'm yet to watch and obviously yet to cover on this podcast, but like. It's probably not aged well, if I'm honest. I'm, I I, yeah. I say that I have a fondness for it, but I haven't watched it in years. It's It's got the whole David O. Russell thing going <laughs> against it yeah. as well. And it almost feels like, from looking at it, it looks like David O. Russell almost going, oh, Wes Anderson's doing these all-star ensemble casts. Like, maybe I should do that as well. Like, I think it's like kind of <laughs> in quite close proximity to like the Royal Tenenbaums and stuff like that. And that's why he got Jason into it, because... Whether the Wes Anderson connection and Jason's and all those Wes Anderson films, yeah, yeah. so we came in and yeah. yeah, that that that's a that's a rare double couple of well, not a rare one, but like that's one where it's Jason and his mum Talia Shire both in that film. So yeah, it it is on the list to be covered. I've got a guest <laughs> lined up for that one. So uh, yeah, expect I Heart Huckabee's next year, I guess. Yeah, I'll get around to it then. Uh, so let's talk about klaus and before we do is the trailer um hello <laughs> jesper johansson postman oh. uh, mr klaus you have a gift you were meant for making toys so i figured if you donate your old toys i'll deliver them for free Tonight, I go with you. There's no need for you to come with me, really. Tonight, then. (gasps) Our cousin told us if we write a letter to Mr. Klaus, he'll make us a toy. (gasps) Dear Mr. Klaus. Dear Mr. Klaus. Shall we, then? Yep. (gasps) Mr. Klaus is the coolest. Klaus? What about me? Ow! Loser. Oh yeah, well if I'm a loser, then you're you're a you're a uh, yeah, you're, you're too far, you're gone. Hey, what do you guys think you're doing? This is Smearinsburg, the unhappiest place on earth. And you two can't change that. The postman and toy maker are brainwashing everyone! We need to show people that a true selfless act always sparks another. Hi! What's happening right now? Oh, no. Holy mother! What happened? Not a word. You just sit there. Be all magical and awesome. Jesper, we're doing it. Let's go! Oh, oh, oh! Wait, wait, wait. Time out. Really? That's how you laugh? We're running out of time. Those kids are counting on us. If we don't stop them tonight, this town will never be the same. Destroy those toys. No, 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 no. No. Ah! Ha! Eat our snow, you... They're not attached. Why aren't they attached? I thought they were attached. I would never in a million years have done what I just did if I didn't think these were attached. Always have So, Russ, what is your relationship with this film, and when did you first see it? 
so I have a pretty positive relationship with this film. Um, I first saw it when it came out. So when it first came on Netflix, I watched it probably the weekend after it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, so the nature of my job means I'm aware of the everything being released in St. Mars and Oxford and the surrounding area. So I have to put them into the website I run on. We put all the showtimes in. So I'm just super aware of what's coming out and I live vicariously through that. So I don't watch all the films or all the other stuff. I'm like, oh, this film's on. And I can um, kind of keep tabs in my head. And so this... I was aware of when it screened at a cinema in Oxford and I thought it looked fabulous. And so I watched it when it came out and, and yeah, it was fabulous. I immediately uh, took this film. It made me cry the first time I watched it and it makes me cry every time. We'll probably get into the fact that it makes me cry. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no, so yeah, I have watched this every year since. I mean, it's only been out for two years, but I've probably watched it a dozen times already so i've watched it four or five times a year uh it's a firm staple in our festive roster it's one of the ones i can watch fairly early on because it's not like uh home alone or gremlins or it's a wonderful life and that those feel like staples that i have to watch quite close to christmas this feels like one that i can watch several times in a year and yeah so yeah i i, I, I love I, this film for what it is i know what you mean like home alone for me has got this thing in my head that i have to kind of watch it in like the time frame in which it like plays out i kind of like yeah. you know what i mean it's like it's a few days before christmas i have to watch it and like i have to get a cheese pizza and i have to get like i have to get a cheese <laughs> a, a whole cheese pizza all to myself like i have to get that like i remember uh, a, a few years ago i watched home alone like had, had the cheese pizza and then like woke up in the morning i was still living at home at the time um and, like <laughs> woke up in the morning and everyone had like gone to work and i kind of had that like kevin McAllister moment of like kind of like mom dad uncle frank buzz like everyone was gone i was like like yeah i was in my 20s so i don't know what i was gonna do that i wouldn't have done anyway do you know what i mean like uh probably a lot more sordid than what kevin McAllister gets up to i weren't jumping on any beds oh very gentle what he does enough nothing too yeah 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 yeah. he just tries to kill a couple of like middle-aged blokes um so so did you get to see klaus in the cinema you said it 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 was i didn't i i kind of wish i had but it's like one of these Netflix releases that gets like a week in cinema and I don't that often see them. Like I think I've seen, I saw the Irishman in the cinema because I was like a Scorsese in the cinema going to go watch that. And and I saw Roma as well because I go to the London film festival every year and there'll be films that I'm lucky to, to catch, but I don't tend to watch Netflix films in the cinema, which is, is to my fault. But um, I just, I'm like, I'll watch them when it comes to Netflix. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, same yeah. attitude with this. Like, so, i didn't see the cinema same thing i had i had the same thing this week i was like trying to like i've got a pretty like hectic podcast week this week and like I, but i was like looking and i was like oh don't look up is playing at like, the every man near me and i was like i've kind of like been jonesing for an excuse to go there do you know what i mean Cause <laughs> it, like lovely building lovely cinema and stuff like that and i was like oh that could be like my little christmas treat to myself and i was like if only I had like scheduled myself better and wasn't recording like a podcast every night of the week this week, <laughs> I could I could have gone to 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 check out that film. But uh, yeah, there is that thing. Like the one of the reasons I didn't go see it, like like yourself, is like, ah, oh, well, it's on, it's on Christmas Eve on Netflix. Do you know what I mean <laughs> that 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 feels like yeah, the type of yeah. thing like 
like I don't know, I could probably persuade my parents on Boxing Day to maybe like after a couple of mulled wines, we can sit. Like uh, uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll I won't tell them about the kind of Adam McKay of it all and just be like. Meryl Streep's in it and they'll be like oh if Meryl's in it let's give it a watch and then before I know it I've kind of like indoctrinated them with some kind of uh oh what is it like uh like uh environmental like kind of like do you know what I mean like yeah messaging the message and the message like and did you get the message at the end yeah this is the message this yeah yeah we're destroying the planet guys come on stop using so much plastic uh, so you, Klaus, like, I, I think I'm similar to you, and well, not not that I kind of, I had no idea it was coming out. I think like 2019. I, I think I saw like when it came on Netflix or like on social media or something like that, and then saw that like, just the animation style of it. It's like, oh, that looks yeah. really interesting, and it's like. It's the first Netflix animation, right? Like, which uh, um, I think the, feature, I think it's right? the first that they co-funded. I think there were animations that they uh, purchased to distribute, but this is the one that they commissioned to get made. And so it is a Netflix film more than something like uh, the Mitchell's First Machine, which is just because a Sony film, Sony yeah, stopped yeah. releasing animation in cinemas. So that and Vivo are two recent Netflix ones that are not Netflix films, but Netflix uh, have like exclusive streaming rights to them. But this is like a, a small studio made this Netflix commission them to make it. And it, it's, it's a Netflix film. And I kind of quite admire sometimes when Netflix does this, like, when it works, when they pull off these like really good, interesting films, like Roma wouldn't exist without them. The Irishman wouldn't exist without them. But then there are some other ones that like, uh, I watched Red Notice the other day and, Oh, yeah 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 no. yeah. yeah but yeah that's what i mean for every 10 red notices there's an irishman or there's like this new like the fablesman that's coming out next year which is the new like yeah. steven spielberg film do you know what i mean or it's like you kind of kind of have to take the rough with the smooth like with Netflix, and you get you get like a klaus you get this kind of yeah uh warm endearing film that is is not like many of animations out there that that is its own unique thing and and yeah I uh, I appreciate this film. I appreciate Netflix for being a studio that will do this and kind of having set a model that someone like Apple TV are now doing because they release uh, things like Wolfwalkers on this. And Netflix have done a lot of animation that have got coming up is interesting. So they've got like Henry Selleck. Mm-hmm. There's all their Roald Dahl stuff, which I'm very interested in. Um, Big shout out got... to my boy. Oh, well, yeah, a mutual, mutual friend of yeah. ours, David Trumbull. Oh, I... I will say at this point, thank you, because that was a really great two-hour chat, and it only happened because you're like, hey, there's this guy who like knows about animation. You should talk to him. And I was like, okay. And I did, yeah. And then I, I went up and talked to his brother about The Grinch. That was another good two-hour conversation. Those two guys are verbose, but fabulous, and they gave me such fabulous episodes to put out. But yeah, so thank you for the... No for the Fred, I had to, yeah, I had to give, I had to give David, David a shout out, especially talking about an animated film. And I imagine like he'll probably be listening to this, being like, "Did you know?" Like almost like butting in, like with these things, like wanting to butt in, be like, "Did you know they did this and this and this and this and this?" And then we'll get onto some stuff that hopefully will make David proud. I did, I did my research on <laughs> on the animation style for this. Um, yeah, so. I like to ask all my guests to kind of give us uh, a little 
plot synopsis of the film. Can you can you can you tell us what Klaus is about? Sure. Uh, to not dive too much into spoilers because I do think there'll be people out there who will have not seen this. Oh, we will be spoiling this it's... eventually. We will. Be, we yeah, will be. But at this point, I'll I'll limit the spoilers because I yeah it's one of these films that I think. I, Netflix have this weird thing where they seem to undermarket their own films and seem to just wait for people to find them, which I always find kind of odd. But Klaus, so Klaus is about Jasper, who has a rather dubious honor of being the worst student in the Postal Academy. And his father, who runs the Postal Service, sends him off to a small icy village fabulously called uh, Sirensburg. And he is set with the task of delivering a certain number of letters. I think it's he has to deliver 6,000 letters in a year to be allowed back home where all his creature comforts are, where he gets like nice drinks, comfortable sheets, all this other stuff. Ooh, and he, he can be away from this icy hell that he finds himself in. What complicates Sirensburg is that there are two families waging a gang war, not dissimilar to gangs of New York at the start, which is one of the great things about this film. Uh, and there he also finds a local teacher who's desperate to leave and a carpenter who lives alone in a cabin full of handmade toys. He's a strange figure who comes into the film about 20, 30 minutes in. And with all this, he concocts a scheme that draws in the teacher and carpenter to leave. And they don't know that he wants to leave, but he concocts this scheme to draw in the children so they will send letters to a Father Christmas-like figure. And in his own way, he begins to shape a Christmas legend and he starts to create a figure like Father Christmas. And that's what Klaus is about. Oh, Klaus is the name of the of the carpenter. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I wanted to play a quick clip of the kind of uh, his dad giving him them kind of marching orders of of, of setting up kind of what his mission yeah. is. You think I'm just going to watch you purposely fail and then let you waltz right back to a privileged life, void of any purpose or meaning? Well, yeah. Where else would I? Congratulations. You are now a postman. Come again? You are to establish a working postal office in... Smearensburg. You've got one year. What? A year? Where? Smearensburg? What is, what's happening right now? Dad! 6,000 letters will suffice, stamped by your own hand. And listen carefully, Jesper. If you fail to get those letters, you're cut off. No more fancy apartment, stagecoach, clothes, galas, all gone. You can look forward to a cozy spot in the gutter. But... 6,000 letters. One year. You can't cheat, bribe, or squirm your way out of this one. That is somewhat what he does, right? Though, right? He he does he does yeah. he does almost bribe a, 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 a town full of people with. He plays the system so he can get out. He, he is a kind of a corrupt figure at the start. Who, yeah, who just um, uses people's because he just wants to leave, and that, that's that's his goal is to leave. So he uh, <laughs> lies to a group of children. He lies to. What we find out is a grieving um, man out in the woods. He lies to a teacher who has a fondness for him in, in that blossoms into something more. But yeah, it's, it's for the first half. He's this lying, cheating, corrupt individual who's just doing everything so he can get the hell out of this place. 
I, I, what I think is like really like endearing about this is it kind of like borrows things from different stories. It's almost got that kind of like Scrooge-like character at the at, at, in the middle of it in in Jasper in the idea that like he kind of all he cares about is himself and like you kind of know from the outset that like his his kind of I don't caviar-filled heart is going to melt and kind of he's going to he's going <laughs> to he's going to throw away the fineries in life to yeah to appreciate that like all it takes is an act of kindness to 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 provide another act of kindness and I think Jason Schwartzman is perfect for a film like this because he kind of he can do this like like slightly smug and he can put like an innocence to him that no matter how smug he's being you kind of like you're warm to him like they they, they, they play it really well i think in this film that like he doesn't feel like uh an absolute asshole do you know i mean You, you you are still rooting for jesper despite like and it's the kind of machinations of the plot work in such a way that like you almost like you forget about this ploy because he's getting caught up in it. He's got, you can see the joy on his face and the joy that he's bringing to this town. That don't, you don't, you, yeah, you're not there going, oh yeah, but once he gets to 6,000 letters, he's, he's fucking out of there. He's, he's like, bye, Sneerensburg, yeah. bye, Sneerensburg. Like you guys are in, in the dust. I'm, I'm, I'm going back to my life of, yeah, caviar and silk sheets. So like, so. Yeah, I think I think Yeah, he's, is... so he's not he's not an irredeemable person. He is selfish at the start mm-hmm. and um d- dislikable in that sense. And yeah, Jason plays it fabulously and, and we've like one of his most memorable roles for me is is Gideon Grave or Grey in uh, Scott Pilgrim and like playing that fantastic asshole um villain that he does. And there is hints of that at the start and then it kind of melts away and the whole thing with any of these kind of films that are about people doing duplicitous schemes is that as the scheme goes on obviously they will get more into where they are they will get more into the people they're surrounded by and so the scheme will kind of uh go to the background for them they're doing it because they've kind of developed a warmth and and kindness within them and that's what this is it's about developing warmth and kindness and and it's a fascinatingly cold film at the start that kind of um a warmth kind of breeds within it and kind of gets warmer and warmer as it goes on but it starts off this wonderfully cold film that's just uh yeah beautifully done but so cold and so mm-hmm. um not unpleasant but unwelcoming it's really interesting that as a film it's quite unwelcoming at the start it's not it doesn't draw the audience in by being warm at the start it, it says this is a cold place these are cold people there is no kindness there is no warmth here and then it kind of develops beyond that point it develops into this point where as jasper softens and becomes warmer as uh klaus opens up and becomes warmer as i should know her name the teacher alba yeah 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 yeah. alba becomes warmer and kinder as the kindness kind of as with a virus but not 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 in a negative way (laughs) positive way a positive virus kind of spreads through this village and through these people and we kind of see it happen and Jason's performance is really good at capturing that kind of shift within him as he becomes less and less of a selfish asshole and more and more of this kind of kind, nice, friendly person, right up until the point that makes me cry, which is where he is 
they're making a, a sled for a, for the village girl. Mm. Um, yeah, the Sammy girl. That entire sequence, I'm yeah. weeping throughout because I, I think it's a beautiful sequence. Um, yeah, so at, at that point where he is so invested in this in in the positive side of the scheme, so investing in toys to children that he'll make a toy even though he has none of the skills he needs to, even though we have established that he's lazy and untalented as a person and willfully untalented, like he's willfully uh, sought to avoid responsibility and re- avoid skilling up. And that's, that's, that's the wonderful shift. And yet Jason's performance carries it, carries that shift from him so that by the end, when he is this nice person, we can go with it and we even like it and we even accept it. And we kind of, fine of it even though at the start he is selfish and kind of dislikable yeah i to your point of like the kind of coldness of this film i think some of that comes down to the way that this film is animated and like the animation design of snirensberg and the idea that they everything is angular it's a lot of like sharp corners it's a lot of triangles do you know what i mean everything looks yeah. very angular almost like tim burton-esque or henry selick-esque in that kind of way that it's like yeah decrepit and stuff like that and then when you get to uh klaus's kind of cabin out in the middle of nowhere everything's a lot more softer edges and rounder and stuff like that and that very much feels like uh, a conscious choice on the parts of the filmmakers uh who kind of like right let's like like let, let's visually tell the audience and I, yeah i wanted to talk about the kind of animation style because there's something kind of magical about it in the way that like you watch it and it feels, even though it's like from 2019, watching it for the first time, it felt, I don't know, it, it felt familiar at the same time, but like totally kind of groundbreaking. And I know that they used yeah. like kind of groundbreaking technology to kind of uh, get the visual style that they do. So, yeah, what are your kind of views on, on, on this animation style that they use? So, like, um, I think there's this movement in 3D animation that, I really appreciate, which is kind of a move away from it being uh, photorealistic almost, being like the best animation can be. So, like, I mean, that's still what Pixar are doing. Pixar are still out there making um, as close to humans as possible, all, all that stuff. Whereas uh, the really animation that I've drawn to is the one that kind of is learning from what worked with 2D animation, which is imperfections, and kind of putting in this. So you say, like, there's, like, the angular design, like, the village is designed, and it's very rickety, and and uh, the characters themselves are never kind of, they're not realistic proportions. There's like the two giant kids, one from each set of family, and they're huge. And the character design makes them unrealistically unre- big. And then you've got um, Joan Cusack's character is bent double and looks frail. And there is that kind of Henry Selleck, uh, Tim Burton even uh, Quentin Blake's uh, Raul Dole yeah, yeah, yeah. drawings. Yeah. So, like, uh, I have just started, because I, I, why not, reading to my five-year-old uh, Raul Dole's books, and we've just read George's Marvelous Medicine, and there's something about uh, the way that Quentin Blake interpreted Raul Dole's words and Raul Dole's description of characters that I think is in this. I think mm-hmm. that the characters... Um, are free to to be exaggerated in places, and there is exaggeration here in the characters, and yeah, and and then the world is very angular and rickety, and and yeah, like uses that for the comedy. So like, there's the bit where he 
where he lives and he has to go out to the toilet and it's all rickety and the way it's animated. But it's also, if we just take the opening sequence of the fight of the, when he, so he enters this village, rings a bell, and that causes <laughs> the two families to fight. And it turns into a sequence from Gangs of New York. And so they limit what you see because it takes place in a, in a sea of, um, not smoke, but kind of, yeah, like, like a got, fog descends. Like, like, like those a, dust clouds that you yeah, it's like a dust cloud of ice gets yeah, yeah. up. And so you get that. And then you see him like at one point get flung out and burst through the cloud. And it kind of zooms out and you get like a far off shot of him going up in the sky and coming back down through it. And so it's willing to be playful in how it animates itself. It's willing to be playful in the shots it's choosing. It's quite cinematic in how it's constructed. And even cinematic in the sense that it goes from being cold to warm and it, it uses uh, the seasons as a means to kind of uh, open itself out and become something different. And that's in the animation style itself, that the animation style becomes warm. And you can see that there's like clearly someone there who's talked mm -hmm. them through lighting and how lighting impacts the scene. And Well, well this film is like, it's groundbreaking the way that like it is all still like apart from a, a few small things is 2d animation but they came up with this like lighting and texture like kind of pack like kind of ai almost that the animators could go in and find tweak yeah that kind of created this look for the characters that it feels like a it, it, that's what's ma magic about it. it feels like a kind of a trick it's like an optical illusion in the thick the thing that's like you feel 3D, and it's almost like at times it feels like 3D characters inhabiting like a 2D landscape. And I know that like they used a lot of like scenic layers, so like to 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 get that idea of like a depth of field and stuff like that. But it's all 2D, and like yeah, um, yeah, the way that like the the the, the characters look, and there's a, a great video which I'll put in the show notes to this that kind of like breaks it down very quickly, and um. I know that um, Sergio Pablos kind of has this rich history with uh, Disney, right? Like kind of. Yeah. So like his, so his career was initially as an animator at Disney and he's, so how Disney worked with their 2D animations, they would have specific animators on for specific characters. So like he did Frollo in the Hunchback of Notre Dame. He did uh, Paris in a Goofy movie. He did. Tantor and Tarzan, and he did Hades, one of my favorite animated characters ever. He animated yeah. Hades and Hercules. And so this, there is that element to him that most of his career is not spent as a director. This is his directorial debut. He was a writer on Despicable Me, but um, his work is his so much have been about animation. That's why I guess the character design here is is one of the strengths of how this looks in that every single character feels like they've been uh, they've had one person work on them for six months mm -hmm. to come up with the perfect way for them to look and feel and walk and their gestures are perfect so how um jasper his gesticulations are so spot on and the little yeah. girl from the village is so perfectly animated all of it feels perfect on the character side of things and i guess that comes from the fact that he spent the 90s into the noughties as the person at Disney animating these now iconic figures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know that there's like, uh, so this this film predates, there's like a short you can, I'm not sure if it's available anywhere, but there's a short that 
it's from 2015, which is like a kind of proof of concept of what, what they were trying to go for. And I know at the time they worked with like a, a French studio to kind of develop the AI they were working on because I think in that original kind of like thing they had created with like this AI to work on the lighting and textures, it was too labor intensive. And they were like, well, this film will never get made. <laughs> Do you know yeah. I mean, it would have been like 10 years in the making or something like that. And then this um, French studio, which oh, I think it's called like Maison de Rouge or something like that. Uh, again, David Trumbull was probably going, it's this company <laughs> uh, <laughs> right now. But yeah, they, they kind of came on board to really help them out with kind of fine tweaking the AI to make it a, a more like fluid process. And I think it's something like, it's like 400 people who worked on this film or something like that, like close to like a hundred animators or something like that. And it's kind of like, I don't know. It all really feels like it's made with love. I just kind of, there is, there is something. I don't, yeah. It's, I think it's crazy for a film to, to be so new, but just feels like, do you know what I mean? It, it almost feels like something that like you've blown the dust off of a VHS that like yeah. has been hidden in the back of a, a video shop since 1993 or something like that. Yeah, I think because it's this film that is diff different from its peers. It's out here doing its own thing. I mean, there there are similar styles of films out there, but this feels Klaus feels like Klaus, and there's like a raft of films that feel like versions of DreamWorks animations or Pixar animations, and then you get other unique studios doing their own thing. But this feels. Uh, unique and almost timeless in that quality because also its interpretation of Christmas is not very West or not very American. Mm -hmm. It's a very European interpretation of Christmas. Uh, what's drawing off of are the myths and legends of Christmas in Europe, in in, in like Germany or, or in Scandinavia or places like that. And I mean that's one of the reasons why it endears to me is because I, I don't really warm to an American version of Christmas too much myself. I'm more of a, you know, Rizzo the Rat in a Victorian uh, London kind of guy as opposed to anything else. But yeah, mm -hmm. I think yeah. that's one of the reasons why it feels um, out of time, out of sync almost, is because it um, it isn't trying to be like other animations, other Christmas films. It's trying to be um, almost European-focused. Yeah, well, the fact that it's like what it's a it's it's a Spanish production company, yeah, and it's kind of like it feels like this, and it feels, I don't know, it feels freeing. I know that, um, uh, yeah, Sergio Pablos has said that uh, Jason Schwartzman, when it came to his dialogue, like forty percent of what he says was the script, like the rest is ad libbed, <laughs> and you kind of really get that, you get that feeling in the way he delivers things, and like it's kind of like. It feels fresh. It feels, and it, I, I don't know, like, I imagine, like, in in some, like, American animation, it would, like, they would either go, well, you look back at, like, Aladdin or something like that. It's, like, Robin Williams is probably 100%, like, uh, ad-libbed and stuff like that. But this kind of feels Yeah, he's like, doing stand-up, and they're animating his stand-up, basically. That's what yeah. Aladdin is. And there, But this, like, feels like, I don't know, there's, like, a a freeness to it to kind of like find the character and kind of like here is the bare bones of the story like and the 
the message like the message is still going to stay the same but like yeah. really really work around it and like work with it and it's i don't know there's there's, there's just this there's so much beauty in this film um so let's talk about some of like your your favorite scenes in this film of course Russell. yeah uh, so obviously like we've talked about the the opening fight which is probably my favorite bit of animation in this film because it is um so chaotic and energetic a moment to fling into this opening that's been a bit uh slow and cold but yeah i, I love this film i love how it introduces characters i love the the first time we meet klaus for example out in his um woodland retreat essentially because he's basically retreated from the world i like the, all that stuff and how again that's being led by the energy of uh schwartzman's jasper because schwartzman does all the talking in that scene up until the the first time jk simmons talks and yeah, that's a great sequence uh, and it has a lot of fun then with their kind of um their escapades their kind of delivery yeah. of gifts and so we get some nice short scenes of Jasper being hurt or kind of having to do with dogs, fire, all this other stuff. And it's just there being used for us to make him into an endearing figure. Kind of that kind of like transition from well, the, uh, the, a selfish prick into a nice guy. The film's not scared as well to play that scene of when Jasper first goes out to Klaus's like cabin. It's like quite scary. Like uh, I'd like to know. If, like... There's an in, yeah. There's an intimidating quality to Klaus that never really leaves the character. Never really is not an intimidating figure. Um, yeah, and it, it, that that feels quite European, right? It kind of feels like it's it's borrowing that like element of like the the Krampus almost. Do you know what I mean? Of that thing <laughs> of like that there is there there is a danger to Santa almost. This thing of like and it, this film establishes like the naughty the naughty list and stuff like that and does it in such like a a playful manner and stuff like that and uh yeah so like one of the kids like and i love the way that that comes about as well that, that a kid like calls calls jesper a loser and tells him to and go throws home. a snowball at him and yeah yeah, yeah. Say, and and like when it when he realizes that's the kid he's delivering a present to it gives him a lump of coal and that's where <laughs> that kind of idea comes from yeah and then yeah jesper delivers this like kind of speech to that kid when confronted i sent my letter and all i got was a lousy clump of coal well, it serves you right devilish little tadpoles like yourself don't get toys from klaus oh yeah and how would he know what i'm up to unless you ratted on me oh i didn't have to he knows <gasps> what do you mean he sees everything you know every mischief prank and dirty deed he keeps a list. The naughty list, he calls it. You lie. Trust me, you do not want to be on the naughty list. What I love about this film is the, the way it like, um, plays with myth making and like kind of like all of these things that like we've come to know as like the rules of Santa Claus and the way that, that, that Santa operates. but the beauty of how that kind of stuff can come to be and like the joy that it it instills in children and stuff like that and there's that 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 moment where all the kids are kind of like through kind of like a, a thing of like do you know what i mean like kind of i don't know like uh 
telephone, I guess the Americans would call it. It's uh, uh, I, I'm trying to think of the politically correct version of that that isn't uh, a derogatory. Uh, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, do you know what I mean? It's kind yeah, of like, so they, they have, like, so the story kind of evolves as it's told yeah, around yeah, 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 yeah. the, the, kid, the yeah, village. Yeah. And that, that's a, that is a really great thing about this film is that it's about the act of storytelling. It's about how the act, the community itself tells the story, how it, it takes things. So there's a about halfway through a confrontation sequence, the two families who decide they're going to work together. And one of the many amazing moments of Joan Cusack, who is fantastic in this film, and you always forget just how amazing Joan Cusack is. But in this, she's fantastic as Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Crumb, and she gives one of her many great speeches about this is the way things are. Yes. And then they get chased, and because they get chased and they kind of fly through the air on their sled with their reindeer, a child sees that, and so it becomes the added to the myth that uh, Claus flies. He flies yeah, yeah, and yeah. he distributes his toys. And so it's that, and it's just this wonderful points are made that all these things, like Jasper putting in a bit of coal into the kid who doesn't like. Um, d- as his delivery becomes part of the story and it becomes more and more uh, the story and it's kind of like the acts of kindness multiplying are tied into this kind of story that's being kind of uh, blossomed and complicated by the children almost separate to the people running the scheme because yeah, they're, yeah. they're just doing their thing and little snippets of that will then feed into a wider story of who this Klaus figure is here's some of the things that the kids like talk about and i guess like a lot of them we know to be the things that kind of santa does in the morning the present is right there by the fireplace yeah mr claus is amazing yeah he's awesome yeah claus awesome he's huge but he can squeeze down any chimney really how i don't know magic i guess If you leave your socks hanging on the mantle, Mr. Claus will fill them with toys. He only comes when you're sleeping. No one has ever seen him. It's like he's invisible or something. Oh, and he likes cookies. Don't forget to leave out some cookies. What I love about that is the fact that um, all of that is interplayed with Jesper kind of like going in and out of the houses and stuff like that. And it's, uh, I, I think that's one of the things that this film really speaks to. And I think is a, the core of what this film is about. That Obviously, like the myth, the legend is it's, it's, it's this lone figure, Santa Claus, who's doing all this stuff. But what this film is really talking about is those acts of kindness and it's yeah almost any of us can be santa and i feel like it it it's kind of it feels like it would be a beautiful like transitionary film for a kid when like that inevitable conversation comes when like you have to talk to your kids about (laughs) when they've heard at school that santa's not real and then like I think I think this film will be a a great tool for them to kind of like go, hey, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? It's it's the fact like if if I can give you a gift, if 
if you can do something nice for someone like the idea of santa exists like it's 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 not a it's not a tangible thing but it's like the the idea can still be real do you know what i mean like no matter how old you are yeah. even now at the kind of i don't know cynical age of 30 or, or older like i can still kind of have that christmas magic and it's the joy of kind of doing something nice it might not even be like giving a gift like it's a that's just a nice way of kind of visualizing it and kind of like i don't know what in this capitalist stink cesspit that we that we live in is kind of a, a good representation to sh- show your affections and kind of appreciation for other people but th- this film really gets to the heart of it and it is those beautiful things to like share with people and kind of bringing people together that, that means more than kind of christmas and we can all yeah it's almost like that thing of it's that it's that spider-man into the spider-verse thing it's anyone can kind of put on the mask you can kind of anyone can be spider-man anyone can be santa yeah you know i mean like you could you can if you if you and if you do that act of kindness whether it's it's not about giving to receive but it's like that could make someone's day and they want to do something great for somebody else. And it's kind of, we all keep doing that. Then we'll all be in, in a much better place. We'll be in that, uh, be in an ideal utopia that we're yet to see in this world. <laughs> uh, yeah. And there is this wonderful optimism in the film that even where the authority figures, so the two sets of families are set on fighting and they kind of unify so they can get back to the position where they're fighting. It's this idea that that kind of kindness and hope will not be killed straight away. It can still foster and exist because the people who are doing it are the young, small children. So that's part of who they are now is that they'll be kind and they'll pay it forward and they'll help heal the community around them. So it's quite it's quite optimistic about what young people can do, which, I mean, given the state of the world, we kind of need young people to be uh, <laughs> to be able to heal the world. Um, in a not Michael Jackson sort of way, in a like a nice, <laughs> no, not not in that sort of way, um, but yeah, and like this whole like kids telling stories and creating a myth. That's what children do anyway. That's what my daughter does anyway. She'll talk to her friends about things, and they'll create stories and they'll create ideas, and they'll take threads of things and they'll develop their own stories. I I did it as a kid, and it'll happen. It is happening with her. Oh yeah, and but- this film captures it really well. Yeah, my, my 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 son just puts two and two together and comes up with five. Like he kind of, <laughs> he, he's creating myths. He recently told his mum when she asked him, "Oh, did you have a good weekend at Dada's?" He said, "Yeah, Dada's gone to work. Dada's at the pub. Dada's getting pissed." Which was like a real like kind of like eye-opening moment for both of us. Like, oh, he's done his first swear, but he's obviously figured out somewhere from like hearing conversations that like people go to work and then go to the pub and get pissed (laughs) he might have overheard a phone call or something and has kind of put those things together but he's just created this myth about me that i don't i I don't go to work i go to the pub and i get pissed (laughs) so yeah even as a two-year-old he's he's ratting me out um on your point about kids and this is something that like I think this is one of the things that really gets me this film is that there is a thread throughout this film all about how children are like a product of 
where they live and the environment that they live in and like that that's kind of like what really breaks my heart in this and it is the it is that it, that beauty in it that it is the children who can kind of be the future and make that change and like it's, it's those guys who start like and there's that other great kind of montage where like um they start like they're writing their letters and kind of explaining all of the yeah. nice things they're doing for people and it's like oh and that's where that whole thing and it's that thing like it comes from that kind of, it can look like you can look at it quite cynically where it's like oh if you if you're not nice you're on the naughty list but like it's still like really heartwarming and kind of like great do you know what I mean and it is it kind of this film really cleverly strips away that thing of the i don't know like manipulative thing of like what the santa claus thing could be because you kind of look at it in one way yeah. like cynically and be like well if you're not not if you're not nice like you're not getting any presents or you can kind yeah. of like look at it as like a, a life lesson of being like well just be nice anyway do you know what i mean and like is that thing like, yeah and we're it's all trying to instill of... in our kids that to be nice right it's it's telling them that even if they don't think anyone can see them being nice and um, doing the right thing, someone is seeing that and they will be rewarded for it. And even then, it's not about being rewarded. It's just about being the act of being nice and kind. And uh, one of my favorite moments in this film is linked to the act of writing. It's when the, the teacher... Hold on. Alva teaches a class to write their name. She teaches a child to write their name for the first time. And uh, it's just, uh, you get to watch in this film how children that haven't had fun or love or kindness, how they can blossom and uh, better themselves and better the world around them. And the first act they do is to learn to write their name. And, and that's a really powerful moment. And I think for anyone, but, you got kids and when you can see your kids start to get more and more developed and become you know best more human as opposed to you know these like blobs that are running around taking your stuff <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yes that's a moment i love i love the way it's played i love that it's quite um subtly played like rashida jones performance that is quite subtle and underplayed it doesn't dwell too much in that moment of being hang on a second these kids can't write mm. and yeah, it, it just it all yeah. kind of feeds in this like representation of children as being capable of being better. Well, yeah, I think that is, is that the scene that's kind of capped off with her kind of reaching into her savings to kind of be like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to turn this school around. I'm going to actually like, and it is that, yeah, it's that ripple effect that Jesper doesn't know that he's creating. And it's it takes her later on to show him like, this is what you've done to this to this city yeah. do you know what I mean this is like this is kind of like what you've what you've shown everything oh yeah I wanted to play a, a little clip of of Rashida Jones just so people can hear how great this kind of the performance is starting far far away from here where's that Alva someone would have to be pretty stupid to want to leave this place now don't you think I guess you guess Oh, wow, you have no idea what you've done, do you? Ugh, come on, I'll show you. 
Now would you take a look at that? <laughs> and she shows him kind of he has turned Smearinsburg into kind of like Whoville, right? In this yeah. kind of yeah, in this it's got like a nice German market and there's uh, music being played and like people who are fighting and now part of a band and all this stuff and and it, the film spends forty five minutes slowly opening up the world to show this is happening, showing that these acts of kindness lead to other acts of kindness, which lead to other acts of kindness, which leads to friendship. And these, this town village that hates itself and hates the other members of its, of its town and village are able to move beyond that point. And it's a really interesting film and in how it represents how you heal hate and division, which is that you kind of give something to fill the void that is hate and, vision, and, and division. It's the, mm -hmm. You put something else in there, which is friendship and kindness and warmth. And, and yeah, you open up the possibility that there is a better world out there. And that's what Jasper's doing without knowing he's doing it because he's just doing this because he wants to get out of this place and he can't see what he's doing up until that, that moment. Definitely. Definitely. Well, before, before we get to like the final act of this film and kind of like start to wind down, I wanted to delve into those moments in this film that, that, that bring a <laughs> tear to your eye, just because, I, yeah, I found myself like welling up at this, I don't know, four or five times. Like it's, it's, it's really, yeah, it, it really does get. Yeah. So there's, there's, um, I think there's probably two threads in this that, that, move me quite a bit and one of them is is the pain that klaus is going through and we learn about two-thirds of the way through that the reason why he has all these toys the reason why he is so good at making toys is that he was married and was going to have lots of children and his wife couldn't have children <laughs> and is now dead I and mean, i have a slight issue in that you know there's the whole dead wife thing dead mother thing which is so rampant in in mm -hmm. stories that it's i kind of want to do a letterbox list that has like that as the <laughs> as as the plot trope, which is it was a dead parent. I'm not trying um, to make you cry, but I'm gonna I'm gonna play that scene. <laughs> you know, I remember the day I first had that very same smile on my face. What? What smile? I wasn't smiling. I was squinting from the sun. Right. I didn't want to admit it at first either. She used to tease me about it. She? My Lydia. I remember when I found this spot in the woods that she loved. And I built us a house right here. Away from it all. But it wasn't going to be the two of us for long. We wanted children. Lots of them. Running around, laughing, getting in trouble. <laughs> While we waited, I started making toys for them. And we waited, and I kept making toys and more toys. Oh, another one. What do you think? And we kept waiting, but they never came. And then she got sick. Even now, sometimes, it almost feels like she's still... 
After, after she was gone, I, I guess I got lost. She loved birds, so I, I just kept making birdhouses. But then, then you showed up, delivering these toys, seeing the joy they bring to children. I thought I'd never feel this again. And I have you to thank for it, my friend. So, thank you. Of course. And just yet, with J.K. Simmons in this is is wonderful. And I think I've watched nine or eight films he's been in this year. And every time he's in a film, I'm overjoyed that he's in it. But in this, he's so good at getting across Klaus's grief and sense of loss. And I find that animation is quite easy. It's quite easy for animation to to kill off a loved one but it's really hard for them to talk about the act of not being able to have children and that's hmm. one of the things that klaus does really well is that it subtly talks about that talks about that kind of trauma that a fair few people have to go through and that they want children but can't have children and uh i one of the great things for me is to have kids and is to as much as they infuriate me and i spend <laughs> so, too much time with them sometimes particularly during a pandemic um they are great and it's great to have them. They kind of, particularly Christmas, reshape what Christmas is. And if you don't get that, and if that's what you want, it's it's a real tragedy. So that's a really moving thread, particularly that moment, because of that acknowledgement that is rarely seen in animation for me and that some people can't have children and it doesn't happen for some people, even if they want it, no matter how much you want it, it might not happen. Yeah, uh, I... And I think it's it's presented in a way that like children could like like it could either go over their head or like it's there for them to like pick up on. It might it might it might lead to some questions like what does he mean by like they just didn't come? And it's like I don't know. I think for an animated film to do that and like how like I don't know bring out those discussions in parents and their kids. Yeah. Is, it's a beautiful thing because, like, it's yeah, and, it's, and it, it's it makes I don't know to sound selfish, but it makes you cherish your own kids and kind of like uh, impart some kind of like uh, gratitude, like some feeling of gratitude in your kids that, like, hey, it's so lucky that we're all here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. That, that's what it is. Like, it's so lucky there's some people out there, and it's yeah, that 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 is. That is probably more heartbreaking, like, than the kind of like a dead wife thing. Just feels like a bit of like I don't know. It's it's <laughs> one of the bugbears in this film. Do you know what I mean? But it like it's yeah. the fact that like Klaus wanted this, and the fact that all those toys are there for the children he never had. It's... Yeah, and it it gives this reason for what for why this convenient character exists, who makes toys, who has toys. It gives a reason. It also. You know, creates complexity in the narrative gives a point where they kind of diverge because he doesn't want to make more toys he doesn't want to do this because he did it for a reason and that reason was because he was going to have them with the person he loved and then it leads nicely into the main sequence that makes me just weep throughout which is where uh, jasper has been so reformed has become such a good person that uh, he is shown by he is shown by Alva 
the good he does. And so he brings uh, Margot, who is this girl from a village outside of the surrounding area mm-hmm. who doesn't speak the language. And he and the, they come together to translate what she wants to say and for her to write a letter. And that's in itself beautiful because it's, it's opening up this, this story to other children, to children who might not have access to it because of language barriers. And then Jasper goes off to make her a sled and that brings Klaus out and Klaus kind of manages to escape the fog of grief that he's in to come and help him make this toy. And they travel across in a beautiful sequence to deliver the toy and there's this wonderful shot of them on ice and there's a whale underneath. And then uh, they watch the child wake up, open a present and ride it. And it's just... It's a really emotionally manipulative moment because the song it's using is really emotionally manipulative and beautiful. And yeah, I cry every time like that. I guess because the sto- I at that point I'm very invested in who Jasper is and to watch him become a good person. And I really like this in, in film and TV where it's about someone becoming a good person. It's why I really warmed to The Good Place as a TV show because that was about people who have been determined to be bad people becoming better people striving to be good um because we have many stories about terrible people being terrible or good yeah. people becoming bad people we've got breaking bad which is phenomenal better call Saul, which is phenomenal we just finished succession which is about terrible people being terrible to each other and loved it loved every moment of it but <laughs> sometimes i want to be told that you know people who have issues can become better can become good yeah, my I, I had a thought whilst watching this film. Uh, is like, would Jesper be a uh, a Roy child if he was like a few hundred <laughs> years later in the way that he is kind of like his dad owns the post. Well, yeah, like service. there's nepotism in his his upbringing. Yeah, he's yeah. only doing this because his dad is who he is. <laughs> well, and it, it feels like a perfect yeah. role for Jason Schwartzman in that way. Like it kind of like he probably understands that character really well because. He probably has had it easy his whole life. His mum being Adrian from the Rocky films. Do you know what I mean? Like, is that being like, oh, he probably he probably does under yeah understand that fully in the fact that. Do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, yeah, like in that way. And um, I think yeah, that that young girl uh, who he speaks to, she provides this beautiful moment for Jesper to really like tell the audience like how he's feeling and kind of give us a glimpse into like his soul basically yeah nah i don't want to bore you with it well okay it's just been bothering me you know if i don't get those letters then what what am i supposed to do stay in this little town forever hanging out with an old woodsman surrounded by crazy people and never wanting anything more Back home, I've got pretty much everything. But here, I'm just another irrelevant, pointless nobody. But Klaus, he doesn't deserve to... I didn't mean to... Well, now I just feel like a... I've behaved like a... Don't let guy get... Precisely. Hey, you're a pretty good listener, you know? All right. You win. Let's go. Follow me. Russ, what do you, what, yeah, what, what, what do you make of that moment when kind of like 
Jesper kind of realizes that he almost realizes he's like he is the bad guy, right? Yeah, he realizes what his scheme has done, which is to draw in this kind of grief-stricken um, carpenter out in the woods who has his own story, has his own life. Um, and that, yeah, it wasn't his intention to kind of, I guess, help this person through their grief. And mm-hmm. he understands that if he leaves, it kind of undoes any of the work that he's inadvertently done. Um, and it's it's useful for us as an audience to see that he kind of understands where he is and he understands what is happening where he is. And that's uh, useful for us to see. Again, Jason's out there giving it a fabulous performance. Um, yeah. I think it's all in that kind of moment and then the follow-on. And then uh, it's also bookended this sequence by him being excited afterwards. They've delivered the toy that he gets to see the joy that it brings and he is excited and yeah. he again has that great Schwartzman energy that is so often with this character that he's there excitedly saying that how he's helped this child, how he's brought this gift to this child and how wonderful it is to um do this. Yeah. So I think it's both him showing that he understands that he's not been a good person and then showing that he understands he's becoming a better person. And that's nice. It's nice to be able to watch someone see that they are becoming a better person. Yeah, I like I can somewhat like like relate to the character of Jesper and like I don't know, maybe because it's Christmas, I've had a couple of drinks and I, 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 feel, <laughs> I, feel, like, I feel like sharing things, but like when when it came to like being a dad, like well, I never I never really wanted to be a dad, like to be honest and like the the way I became a dad is uh, it's not my place to say in, in regards it's kind of a, a very like taught story and like uh, there's there's another party <laughs> involved and there's uh there's a child who unless the internet gets destroyed one day can listen back to this and be like <laughs> whoa my dad told that story on a on a podcast but um yeah like as i don't know like it's that weird thing like as kind of jesper kind of comes into this this town and really like figures out his purpose because like for a lot of my life and i guess like even now i i still feel this thing of like purposelessness do you know what i mean and it's like oh yeah definitely having a kid is like as kind of vain or kind of selfish that may be or i don't know it, it it's given me an opportunity to have purpose and be like be selfless do you know what i mean like because yeah i countless amounts of times it's like well i need to put him before before me like a hundred percent of the time and it's like i don't i think i think that's a kind of and and i'm just like this isn't something i've even thought about before like kind of saying this right now that's a that's a narrative that this film kind of has do you mean like subconsciously underneath is that thing of like becoming a parent can kind of like like jesper kind of has this i don't know yeah what he has so i think having a kid uh you become you gain responsibility in a way that no other action can do even getting married doesn't give you responsibility what does give you responsibility there is a child in your life and you kind of uh you could probably choose to ignore the child or to not be as active a parent as you want to be but 
I found, and I, and I suspect you did too, that it kind of pulls you into being a more uh, active participant in their life and you want to be responsible and caring. And uh, yeah, uh, it is infuriating and rewarding being a parent. And uh, I'll, uh, my first was a surprise. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was a surprise. <laughs> um, and I freaked the fuck out when it happened. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, um, and like even during something like what we've been going through in the past two years, it kind of shapes your experience of it. So my experience of a pandemic is a lot of the time being about well, how does it affect my kids? How is it affecting their lives? And, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think this film captures in a good way what it is to become an adult and i think to become an adult is when you have kids i mean there are other ways like you know you get a mortgage or you start taking a fancy to collecting uh, cheeses or whatever it is you want to collect yeah, you know, I mean, I... you'll start wearing jumpers you'll start listening to um jarvis cockermore or yeah, yeah. <laughs> whoever it is um but yeah the, the act of having a kid is is hard and rewarding I've, and I... the act of jasper being kind and nice and forgive it uh, foregoing his plan to leave is is a metaphor because there are things you forego when you have kids they're like it's kind of changed what i expect i can do with myself because well, we, i want to be there to look after my kids well yeah i i, I think this film like really cleverly subtly does that because by the end we found out we find out that jesper gives up the life of fineries and yeah. selfishness to settle down and have kids and it's like this film is like it is in its essence about about a man kind of like becoming a dad really and i think that's kind of what's at the what's really at the heart of this do you know what i mean because it's got that thing of the longingness of klaus to want to be a father and never having it and jesper kind of not realizing what's right in front of him like he's kind of like he's created this family and then like not even not even like uh actual physical fab like, like like kind of like he's created this family around him he's created this family like setup in smearensburg and it's like he he has to make that decision and like him deciding to stay is him deciding to be in that child's life like that's kind yeah. of like my reading of this film is like he is kind of like by bringing this joy to this town he is like i don't know he's got someone up the duff and it's like he's kind of presented <laughs> with that moment with his dad and like i think like this I, I i love the fact that the film is bookended with these kind of two conversations he has with his dad and like i just yeah i just play that the second one when his dad kind of comes back into town dad what are you doing here Time isn't up yet. I've still got a few days until... 14,000 letters out of Smearinsburg? Well, I had to come and see it for myself. Dad, you can't just show up and... Wait, what? 14,000? That's not right. Oh, uh, but uh... it is. Don't be so modest. What are they doing here? Well, they were the ones who alerted me to what you've accomplished here. We couldn't let such a feat go unrewarded. Listen, whatever they told you... Well, then, ready to go? Go? Where? <laughs> Home. Of course. A deal's a deal. The ordeal is over. Home? With the personal butler and the breakfast in bed and my silk sheets? 
No one deserves it more. Wouldn't you agree, Mr. Klaus? Oh, he was unbelievable. Encouraging children to write letters and go to school. Convincing the locals to donate their labor to such a worthy cause. Indeed. Well, shall we then? I think that just hammers my point home, right? He's like, he has that, he has that opportunity. And it sounds horrible, like, and it, it is a very male problem like we like confronted <laughs> with a fatherhood like it, it's statistically more men who kind of are presented with that choice of do I stick around or do I get the fuck out of here <laughs> and that's almost like what 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 Jesper is kind of presented with in that moment of like and you see around him like uh Klaus and like the the the, the Sammy kind of like family who have like he's brought into his house and it's it's that beautiful thing of like I don't know creating families, and it is that thing of it doesn't matter if they're kind of blood related and stuff like that. And it's, I think, yeah, I think that's one of the thing, things that this film really does well is show like I don't know, like Klaus, and it's shown brilliantly as well when there's that kind of sculpture that Klaus has made that was him and his wife at the top. Mm and all them holes for the children and then like that is that is like like shown to be like a thing of it's the children that they give the presents to it's this family he's invited into his home it's it's jesper it's alva they're filling up those holes because it's not about it's not about kind of blood ties of family that, that that means anything to these characters it is the kind of family that you surround yourself in. And it's kind of, there's, there's, that's what I like about this film. It's a rich tapestry yeah. of kind of threads and kind of, you can take different things away from it, even if some of them are half pissed, like analogies about becoming a father. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that I, I, I've just, I've just gone, gone to, but yeah. Um, yeah, I know I said maybe about half hour ago about, about wrapping up. Is there, is there, is there, is there anything like, uh, we will talk about the kind of wrap up of this film, but is there any, anything else in the film that you wanted to discuss at all? Or oh, what? Do, uh, again, must reiterate as that clip did that Joan Cusack is really sensational in this film, <laughs> and you kind of appreciate what a great voice actress she is. Um, Rashida Jones is another great one who pops up in films fairly often uh, in a supporting voice role and. While I might be frustrated that she ends up having to be a supportive wife figure in the end, um, she does at least have a lot of fun with that character up until that point. She at least is a really fun character, really. Um, they allow her to be spiky and a bit difficult to... to um, Again, all the characters seem to start off being quite spiky and dislikable and then kind of soften and become warmer as, as the kind of kindness uh, seeps through the village. And that's, I think, a really great thing about this. Um, I, I, but yeah, I, the finale is, is, is great fun. I, I, love, is... I love Norm MacDonald in this film. Yeah, Norm MacDonald, uh, the sadly uh, now past Norm MacDonald, is, is really great in this and a really fun comedic character. In, yeah. in, and also that he introduces the world of Schmierensberg to Jasper. He is the entry point, and and yeah, he understands it, it's 
Even he gets this like this heartbreaking moment. Anchors away, Captain. We're sailing off at once. Well, that's a first. I beg your pardon. Never saw a postman looking more miserable leaving than on the day they came in. Oh well, best leave it alone. I say, I'm sure it's nothing that could fester and eventually become a source of resentment and regret. <laughs> I feel like that that performance could only be given by the late great Norm Macdonald. Yeah, like, yeah. The way he kind of pops in and out throughout the film, kind of like these snarky remarks and stuff like that, which I don't know. I always think like this film could have easily have been co-opted by like the, the Happy Madison camp or something. Do you know what I mean? In some weird but what way. a film that would have been. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like you meant, well, I don't know, Adam Sandler doing the voice of of Jasper or something like that. Hey, we're going to deliver some presents. <laughs> I mean, Adam Sandler did a Christmas animated film. I've never seen it, but... Uh, it's a Hanukkah. It's a Hanukkah animated film. I'll, I'll, oh, I must apologise. Yeah, let's let's not get let's not let's not let's not start a a, a feud between religions. I think there's enough already, <laughs> uh, Russ. Uh, so yeah, the, the 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 final act of this, I love that like chase and the, the fact that you you get that moment where the kind of rivaling children save one of them saves the other, and it's uh, yeah, it's. It, it's that moment that that Jesper like says to them that it is well yeah he he, he says this to the the crumb and the um oh what are they called the Ellingbows Ellingbows yeah he says this to them yeah a true act of goodwill always sparks another. I think you hit your head pretty hard, dear. You should lie back down. You don't believe me? Turn around. What? Turn around. Mine. <gasps> Pumpkin! Honey! Drop that immediately! <laughs> Mine! Honey, what, what, Jack, sweetie? Come back here right now! Don't come here! Ah, Pumpkin! So, um... I, I feel like it would be remiss not to mention the the amazing score in this film, which is by um, Alonso C. Aguilera, which is like, he's doing everything right, right? It's kind of got this, yeah, like, yeah. It's, it captures the thing of Christmas. It kind of, at moments, reminds me of, like, John Williams. It's kind of like, it... it, it pushes all the right buttons and kind of like it, it, it does a lot of the kind of emotional heavy lifting in certain moments like in certain points and i don't know like like you mentioned about that needle drop making you cry it's like i think that i, I think he could have pulled something out of the bag on the score yeah could have yeah. just as much kind of like really i don't know gave that emotional punch to it as well no, it's one of the. Like, I think everything in this film is is coalescing together, and all the components are really good. The way it looks and feels and sounds, and is edited, and everything just kind of seems to click together. But yeah, the score is beautiful. Uh, it's again spiky when it needs to be spiky. It, it creates tension when it needs to create tension. Like when we first meet Klaus, a lot of the tension comes through score and through how that's playing into the scene. Um. And the other thing I'll say about this this kind of chase is the way this world is constructed is that the 
natural world is almost overwhelming this very small village. And mm. so you get beautiful vistas, you get beautiful scenery around them. And this is like, they're going through, um, not a valley. Is it a valley? It's like a, it's like a big old hill, isn't it? Like they're going on a big old hill. There's a sled race. A ravine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's ravines. There's all this other stuff. And it's, it's beautiful to look at, but it's also, there's this feeling of danger. And the way the chase ends is that they basically, the humans have gone too far and now the world is starting to overwhelm them a bit. And so they have to stop before they go over a ravine. Um, and yeah, it's just this kind of little thing that's happening is that the natural world is basically close to consuming the world they're part of. And yeah. it's really interesting to watch that and have that as part of the beauty of the world. Um, yeah, and I, I, I love this moment. I love the the sort of romance that just kind of happens there and it's kind of unifying these two families, this idea that on the basic level, if you find love and kindness, it's going to solve your problems because the family's now going to have to work together. Definitely. Um, and again, there's another um, play happening with the people. Like Jasper's been having his, his kind of scheme and now it turns out that Klaus and the rest of them have a scheme, which is that they're going to trick the two families into destroying the gifts, but they're not actually gifts, they're just you know, decoy gifts. And it's a decoy sled and all this other stuff. And it's great. It's a really great reveal that, yeah. in fact, this is all part of their plan. All part of their plan is that they'll have these toys destroyed, but they'll still be able to deliver it. So they'll still be able to be part of the myth of Klaus, which is that even if the parents try and stop him, he's going to deliver the gifts. Yeah. Yeah. It's even if, you're, even if your spirit is crushed, your Christmas spirit is gone. You, 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 you're still deserving of a gift from, from Klaus. Yeah, it's, that's beautiful. And I, I love the way that this, this film kind of comes to a close with that kind of like um, Jesper kind of talking about the years that, that, that come after it with the kind of like, like see those beautiful moments between him and Klaus, him kind of like knocking on his door, like one of the years he's got a mustache and kind of like <laughs> that exchange between them. And then there's that like, absolutely again i'm not sure about you but like that kind of heartbreaking moment when klaus kind of has that acceptance of death and like that's the thing this film tackles quite a lot of stuff like yeah in regards to the like emotional beats and kind of things that yeah having a kid you'll kind of have to be a bit like yeah, I'm going to have to have a chat with you about at what At what point do we include death in our story, guys? At what point does that become something we should talk about? And and it's... For a film about Christmas, there's very little supernatural in this film. It's all all about explaining it in sort of like a real world. Mm -hmm. While there may be this element of the myth, it's actually this. So while the kids may see the, the sleigh and reindeer flying, what is is this moment. But the stuff with the spirit of his wife and uh, Klaus's final, final moments are supernatural and the film is willing to keep it kind of mysterious in that sense that it doesn't doesn't show him dying he just sort of leaves yeah and it's got and he it, just sort of goes it's got a kind of like like Norse mythology thing to it like even, even the way like um Klaus's axe looks it looks very kind of like Norse and do you know what I mean it looks very like kind yeah. of yeah, it looks like it could be like Thor's uh, axe or whatever or something like that. And it's got this, yeah. And that, that moment of him kind of like those wind chimes and then him just disappearing and Jesper saying like, mm. a, 
nobody could find where he'd went. Nobody could find the body. Nobody. And then the, the, the way it closes out and this, I just want to play like the, the final line of the film because I think it's a, a beautiful final line. What I do know is that once a year, I get to see my friend. And it is this thing that the the, the, the legend then is alive, right? It's the the yeah. real man is kind of gone beyond the the mortal realm, and then the legend of Santa Claus is born, right? And it's that's it's beautiful. Like I, I I've done it. Like I I can't say enough. Like I I absolutely love this film, and I'm I don't know, yeah. You can you can almost forgive Netflix for Red Notice if they <laughs> if, if they've made this. I mean, it's like with any studio, any studio will make Red Notices, but um, I appreciate and yeah, this is a great film. This film is is exceptional, and I I think I was like, oh, this film's really good when I first saw it, and now I've watched it like ten times. Maybe I'm a bit like, no, this film is 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 really great and i'm kind of like happy for netflix to be figures in animation i think they're doing exciting things and i think they've got exciting things ahead i mean if you're giving me a new henry Selleck, i'm gonna think what you're doing is a good thing yeah. i'm gonna think that you're doing great things and if you're working with cartoon saloon i'm gonna think you're great and if you give a home i think they've got a Leica coming out and they recently had Armand's Robin Robin, which is wonderful. So yeah, 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 yeah. This film is is great, and it kind of leads to other greatness at Netflix. And if Netflix decide that animation is something they can do, and they have decided that net animation is something they can do, and as animation sort of is kind of not in the cinema as much as it, it once was because of obvious you know pandemic yeah, yeah. reasons, but also studios have decided that they're not going to show as much animation in in cinema in cinemas. Hey, Netflix can give me a thousand classes and I'd be happy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> bring, bring it on. Like, and it's the bit like, it's, it's, it's I love the fact that it's a, a one and done story. Like, do you know what I mean? There is yeah. no, there's no sequelization to this. It's like anything else. And it's, it, it has this lovely, beautiful message. And I, I, I really look forward to seeing what the director and his kind of team do next as well, because. I don't know, with this kind of like, I, I, I often think like the fact that he's got like uh, fingers in the pies at um, Illumination, it's like, I'm so glad this wasn't an Illumination film, that he kind of got <laughs> to got to hark back to classic Disney, kind of like uh, years gone by, kind of got to do something new. And it it is almost like, I don't know, it's, it's that thing like what um, Sony did with, um, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, where it's like, oh, we're just gonna, we're gonna push what animation can be. Yeah, you know what I mean, and Klaus does it a lot more subtly than <laughs> Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse because that kind of like literally like ripped up the rule book, kind of did things. Do you know what I mean? Like when we're gonna, yeah. we're we're gonna, we're, we're gonna do things that have never been done in animation. We're kind of gonna like give you a film that has no right to be as good as it is. We're gonna literally have every other studio going, how the fuck did they make that but like uh yeah i mean it's so good i assume that that's what the new spot i haven't seen the new spider-man but i assume it's going to be close to a spiritual remake of into the spider-verse 
oh, you yeah. can get. I assume that's what it's going to end up being. So last and week, yeah, and like yeah, last the week. illumination point. I I watch them. I watch them fairly often. I'm unlikely ever to properly cover them on my podcast, honestly, because I have nothing interesting to say about them. Uh, and they are the state of animation that is separate to the interesting stuff like Klaus, Wolfwalkers, uh, Missing Link, any other animated studio. They're clean animations, they're sleek, shiny animations, but they're not, like, as you say, Klaus kind of, uh, if it doesn't rewrite the rule book, is bending the rules of what animation is. Mm-hmm. And so many of its peers, so the best examples of our time are there, that Illumination isn't that. But I, I respect them for being able to release films that are fine and make like $500, $600 million because it's what animation needs to exist. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I, I, yeah, I think if, anima- if Illumination didn't do what they did, we might not have a Klaus, do you know? Well, yeah, we yeah, we entirely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure if, um, yeah, Sergio didn't have that kind of uh, experience, tick, tick, yeah, and that tick next to his name of being the yeah. creator of Despicable Me, maybe studios wouldn't have taken him as seriously. Being like, I'm going to do something that's classic Disney with this kind of new AI we've been working on to kind of create this kind of hybrid 2D, 3D animation that is <laughs> that is that is beautiful. So, yeah. um. I like to round off these episodes uh, with, with a few questions, but before we get to them, I always like to ask my guests, um, could they find any Coppola connections within this film? Are there people who are in this film hall or worked on this film that appear elsewhere in the collective Coppola filmography? Uh, the most immediate one is Rashida Jones. She was in Sofia Coppola's last film, wasn't she? Uh, yes, On the Rocks. On the Rocks, yeah. So she popped up in that. Uh, obviously, our Schwartzman is in many, many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he's the Coppola. We don't need. To, he's he's the Coppola connection. Um, well, in terms of other stuff, I mean, I'm not sure about Joan Cusack. Uh, so but yeah, Joan Cusack is in Mister Wrong, which John uh, Schwartzman was the DOP on. Norm Macdonald <laughs> is in Funny People, which Jason Schwartzman appears in. As uh, yeah, Seth Rogen's uh, annoying I like, roommate. I quite like funny people. It's, I, I love mean, it. I, yeah, I love it. I love it. And a big shout out to to, to one of my favourite podcasts, uh, Truly Happily Madison, covering every <laughs> yep. film by the uh, yeah Happy Madison uh, stable. Uh, yeah, I know that Jack Gregson over there is a massive, massive fan of funny people, and I I've got to agree with him. Uh, on the point of Rashida Jones, she is not only in On the Rocks. She is in A Very Murray Christmas, which is also directed by Sophia Coppola. And she is in B- Between Two Ferns, the movie, and Neo Yokio, the, uh, I think another like Netflix animated series, or at least has been like, um, I don't know, released by them. And Jason Schwartzman is also in that show. And uh, Will Sasso appears in Army of One alongside Nicolas Cage. so when it comes to scoring these films we do it a bit differently to star ratings i always ask my guests what would be the perfect wine pairing for this film obviously we've talked about the coppola's loving a bit of the uh the uh the, the grape juice so i would say that it would be either a nice ice wine 
because it's uh it Klaus can only exist because it takes place in an icy climate and that's how you create ice wine. Or it's a nice chocolate wine because I like a good chocolate wine at Christmas. So this is it's either one of those two, maybe have one after the other. My like my wine sweet. So I'm a man who likes dessert wine. I like ice wine because ice wine is very sweet. The process of making ice wine makes it particularly sweet. Um and so I think there's a sweetness to this film that kind of fits that. I think this is like got there's a there's a certain name for it. I should have looked it up beforehand, but there's like a German wine that's like a kind of very sweet, almost like syrupy wine. And I feel like this film is a bit of that. It's like a kind of red wine, but like because it's got that like bitterness of the the, the 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 town and the village, and it's kind of got this serious undertones to it, but also that sweetness of being an animated film yeah. and stuff like that. So, and its and, message in the end is quite sweet. So yeah, yeah, and and I think it's got kind of like Germanic or at least kind of Eastern European like root in the kind of storytelling and stuff like that so i think i think that 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 brings it all together so um when you're buying this wine aka this film is it bottom shelf middle shelf or top shelf wine so i would say that this is a middle shelf wine i think this is under 20 pounds but you'd enjoy drinking it and i say this because i think like top shelf is like uh like a masterpiece like a godfather is a top shelf Whereas this is like the higher end of the middle shelf. I would twenty pounds a lot of money for me to spend on wine, <laughs> but I'd spend it on this. Um, yeah. So while I love this film, while I think it's borderline a masterpiece, it it's not quite the Godfather. It's not quite that level for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's why for me it's it's sort of upper middle. Perfect, perfect. That's that's a that, that's a perfectly fair answer for that. So <laughs> let's move on to some. Um, I don't know. Uh, I like to think of them as almost impossible questions to answer. The first one of which being, which Coppola member, uh, family member, would you keep? But in doing so, you get rid of the filmographies of the entire rest of the family. That's sort of a Thanos click uh, of my finger and yeah, yeah, the turn to dust. Um. So is it that I get to keep their entire filmography or that I get to keep um, just the bits that you're covering? You get to keep their entire filmography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So I am torn between uh, Jason's filmography because it means I get to keep Wes Anderson stuff and, and even a Wes Anderson film that I don't love, I think should exist. Or it could be Spike Jones because... I think his films are fascinating and uh, represent their time so interestingly. It feels sacrilegious for it not to be Francis because at his best, he's he's remarkable, but at his not best, he's Jack and, and I can <laughs> stand to not see Jack again. Uh, and I've never quite warmed to a, a Sofia Coppola film. I think she's really great as a director, but I just kind of have a distance to them. Can understand and um if i can snap the wicker man remake out of existence that would be something but i do lose pig and pig is one of the great films of the year but it's probably going to be no it's jason i'm gonna go with jason i'm gonna stick with jason as much as i love spike jones's stuff 
it's going to be Jason's filmography is going to stay because then I get to keep Scott Pilgrim and this film and um, yeah, pretty much so every every Wes Anderson film. and every Wes Anderson and and I, I get it'll, yeah all of them perfect and yeah. I get that one amazing Moonrise Kingdom shot which is him talking in the foreground and kids and the trampoline behind him oh uh, yeah and one of my favorite shots um yeah like I I I think Jason's a good shout because you get get a lot of other stuff as well you obviously get his contribution to phantom planet you get his contribution to tv whether it's bored to death or mozart in the jungle like i look at jason schwartzman and often think like he might be the most productive coppola like <laughs> in regards to how much screen time he's had like yeah nick may have put out more films but nick has only put out films where jason has kind of like done web series he's done like tv series he's kind of like been here there and everywhere and has got like a a filmography like just his kind of films that he's put out he's kind of really chasing at nick's nick's hills in that regard like of kind of and like i think other couplers have had brighter moments in the sun so like they've been oscar winners or oscar nominated but i think jason is fairly consistent and he's been fairly consistent for decades now that the stuff he chooses is good and he's just part of a really good ensemble in most of them. And I think his time is yet to come. Do you know what I mean? In regards to like, he could be a serious, I reckon like you don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like he's what? He's got to be forties. Like, even though he looks, <laughs> he looks like he's in his twenties <laughs> still, but like you just imagine like a kind of, I don't know, like fifties, like uh, Jason Schwartzman or just kind of like, that that kind of thing of when he gets to a point when I don't know Wes Anderson's decided I'm going to take a few years off or like the kind of usual collaborators he works with decide to take some time off and he's like yeah you know what I'm going to try and do something that's not in my wheelhouse and do like a big dramatic role or something like that like I don't know Steve Carell in that that that, that wrestling movie he was in Foxcatcher Foxcatcher yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. he could do a Steve Carell. <laughs> I yeah. quite like Steve Carell. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that kind of that kind of thing. That yeah, that, that yeah. Of... Like a, a bit more showy, a bit more. Um, Give me an award. Against type. Yeah, 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 yeah. That kind of like I've got a prosthetic on my nose. Give me an award, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, based on this film alone, are the Coppolas the greatest film family of all time? Oh, based on this film. Um... No, no, no. I'm trying to think of other families that are better. Um, I think that this is a fantastic film. I think Jason is great in it, but I don't think that it's a fantastic film because he's in it. Okay. I think it, if if he wasn't in it, I'd still love this film. Um. So it, I don't think this is a an advert for the Coppola family. <laughs> I think it's an advert for, you know, the production company and for Netflix making animations. Um, yeah, I think one of the more showy examples, one of the more di a directorial effort from one of them is probably the one that would be the thing to say this is the greatest family of all time. Maybe not Godfather Part 3, even though it contains a lot of them. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I, I think it would have to be something directed by one of them. Okay. 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 All, all, all right, Russ, you're going on, you're going on the naughty list for that answer, <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay. Um, so let's get on to possibly the most important question of this podcast. You've obviously um, let us know that you don't quite gel with Sophia Coppola, but you did study Austin translation at university so you may have an inside track to answering this question which is what does bill murray say to scarlett johansson at the end lost in translation so my theory with this is that uh it was trying to become like the before trilogy so they're kind of like the same characters meeting up every couple of decades so i think he says let's meet here in 20 years and so in two years' time, we're going to get lost in translation to Electric Boogaloo or whatever they call it. Um, I think it's him saying, let's meet here at a certain point in time. Perfect. Uh, yeah. And we're going to get a sequel. I hope that the sequel is called like Speaking in Tongues or something. Just because it's a, <laughs> one, it's a reference to like uh, one of my, my, my favorite Talking Heads album. And I imagine like Sophia would probably like think that's a cool like reference to make and yeah that sounds great i would love that to be a thing especially yeah like, no i i i think it's that i don't think it'd, like i'd be worried though that if it's a 20 year gap it wouldn't be a trilogy it may just be a twofer because <laughs> i'm not sure if bill murray uh, god, god i love him but i don't i'm not sure if he's got 20 years left in him after, no no after probably because it was 20 years ago in like two years time so is he going to be around in 22 years? I don't, I don't know. It depends how much healthcare the Garfield money's got him. Like Exactly. If he's got <laughs> like amazing healthcare, he'll be fine. <laughs> all that all that leisurely playing golf has really has really like <laughs> put him zen and his ticker is working A OK. Not not all the cocaine he did in the eighties when he was on SNL. <laughs> and and oh, that's good for you. That's no eighties cocaine is is healthy cocaine. Yeah, yeah, it's before it was all cut with all this horrible pesticides and horrible stuff that they're giving to people these days. Well, on that kind of uh, white Christmas note, uh, <laughs> w where can people keep up to date with everything you're doing with the podcast? Or, or y y you write as well, right? You write for Moving Pictures uh, Film Club. Uh, yeah, Moving Pictures Film Club. So I... Uh, I write for a couple of places. I write for where I work. I write for Moving Pictures Film Club. And I pop up occasionally on other websites. But you can find my podcast wherever you're listening to this. It's called Not Just for Kids. Uh, there, there's many fabulous episodes. I get on fabulous guests. I love all my guests who come on. You, you're coming <laughs> on again yep. uh, next series to talk about. Uh, yeah, you're going to talk about a really great musical, which I've now watched. And I was like, this is a great film. <laughs> <laughs> bonkers film but great <laughs> um yeah no so if if you want to listen to me warble on about film some more uh, and i kind of picked Klaus because it's within my wheelhouse uh then find me there on twitter it's adults to pod and it's also on instagram and my personal one is russ loves movies and it's mostly me fighting the urge to retweet funny things about succession because i don't want to spoil the finale for people who've not watched it and occasionally there's some uh, funny politics stuff retweeted. The conservatives give you a lot of comedy gold <laughs> whilst they're destroying this country. <laughs> and yeah, and I, and, uh, and I 
post any link to any podcasts I go on or any uh, things I write. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Russ, for coming and making some Copa connections with me. Donald, thank you so much for having me. This has been really great fun. Oh, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas! Oh, ho, ho, wasn't that a lovely Christmas gift of an episode, guys? Russell is such a lovely person to chat to, and I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I had having that conversation. Um, hopefully, like most Christmases, I didn't get too drunk and make a fool of myself. But if I did, please don't hesitate to uh, let me know. You can do so on all the socials. So that is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd, at Caged in Pod. Or you can head on over and send me an email. You kind of feel concerned about me. You really want to really have a quiet word in my ear. Feel free to do so, which is cagedinpod at gmail.com. So, next week on the podcast, obviously, we'll be, we'll be full of food, hungover after Christmas, feeling all a bit grotty and horrible. So we're going to wallow in that grottiness and horribleness. And we're going to talk about 50 Shades Darker. That's right, baby. Charlie Vero Martin is back with me to dive deeper into the 50 Shades franchise. And um, does it get better? Does it get worse? Well, you'll have to listen next week to find out. I know in the lead up to Christmas, I've been doing this little uh, shout outs to other podcasts. Podcasts should be listened to. Little nice little wrapped up gifts of podcasts that you should be checking out. This week, seeing as, as as it is Christmas, I just thought out, I'd shout out uh, a load of podcasts that I absolutely love, listen to week in, week out. So let's just go. Spotlight, love them. Uh, Liam and Matt have been on the podcast. Well, Paul's going to be on the podcast at some point. Is Paul Dano okay? Again, Matt, yes. Daryl, yes. Love everything they are doing. They get some of the best guests out there truly happily madison uh it is an absolute tour de force of podcasting going to the weird and wonderful places of the films of adam sandler's production company and oh boy what a absolute joy rambling ambling obviously we had uh, andrew godion on the other week but yeah check those guys out because uh, again they're doing something that's amazing pizza your mind uh, two of my best friends making one of the best podcasts that's out there. The Damn Daniel podcast, uh, a comedy podcast from comedian Danny McLaughlin, uh, Rob Mulholland, and previous guest Molly McGuinness. It's an absolute treat. And uh, yeah, get involved with that one because it's, it's it's dead funny. Like, um, apart from that, I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of the, some of the small ones. Easy Riders Radio podcast, absolutely love Easy Rider Radio podcast. Again, uh, a podcast so graciously had me on recently to talk about for the dark world nobody else wanted to talk about it so i went and talked about it and it was tons of fun piecing it together podcast it's fantastic again yeah I'm just, I'm, now i'm just talking about ones that i was on uh but yeah piece it together uh obviously mentioned last week w rated those guys are due a comeback in the new year uh, the church of tarantino uh, my good friend scott 
from the uh, You Can't Put Nick in a Cage podcast has come back with a, a brand new podcast. They stopped the Cage podcast. They started up a Movies to Watch Before You Die podcast. And oh, watch this movie, watch this, uh, watch this movie or die. Uh, <laughs> and now, 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 yeah, he can't. Uh, the not carrying on with that because Matt, Matt can't do it. Either way, uh, yeah, the Church of Tarantino. It's going to be a fantastic podcast that launches next year. So, yeah, there's no. I'm giving you, I'm giving you hot scoops on podcasts that aren't even out yet, guys. Enough with with, with me rambling on about podcasts I really enjoy and podcasts you should be listening to. So, if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support support it in any way you can head on over to www.ko-fi.com forward slash caged in pod where you can buy me a little digital cup of coffee and yeah that will really help keep the lights on over here at caged in towers or if you want a little bit more commitment with your money given to this podcast you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod where you can sign up for as little as three dollars or two pound fifty and get access to a brand new podcast which is launching january where two episodes a month you'll be able to hear the uh sister podcast of this podcast or the somewhat stealth sequel podcast of this podcast movie brat bros where i'll be talking to some amazing guests all about the films of Francis Ford Coppola's uh, Piers, and we're starting off with season one, talking about Brian De Palma, and the first two episodes are recorded, they're in the bank, and they are ready to go, and they are on Phantom of the Paradise from 1974 with Daryl and Jeanette Bar, Bear, what did I say Bar? <laughs> Daryl and Jeanette Bear, and it's a fantastic episode, and episode two will be on Mission Impossible with the fantastic, lovely, 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 lovely Nathaniel Metcalf. That was a, another great chat. So, yeah, head on over there. Like, you get two extra podcasts um, for, what, £2.50? So, yeah, do it, do it. Treat yourself. It's Christmas, guys. Treat yourself. You, you're hungover. Enjoy this. Enjoy, enjoy everything. And if you would like to support this podcast and don't want to give me any money, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Even Spotify, I've noticed they've started doing rating and reviews. Leave a five-star rating and a glowing review of this podcast. If you like one episode, if you liked all of them, it really does help uh, this podcast grow in the charts and get more ears on it. I know every podcast tells you that, but it really does. And there's so many podcasts made by massive companies and massive names so yeah us small guys really need that help we don't have any marketing budget so i'll speak for myself there i have no marketing budget and even if i did i wouldn't know where to where to spend it anyway and what to do and and i like the fact that this is a kind of weird grassroots thing and it's it's yes it's it's just a little tight club so yeah uh, do all of that and most importantly guys have a very merry christmas i know this time of year can be a very uh, lonely one for some people and always remember that as much as i am uh, the copla guy the the nicholas cage guy i'm also a human being so if you ever need anyone to talk to as i said that the the, the email address the social media is all there uh, yeah if you're feeling lonely this christmas reach out to me let's have a chat i'm i'm here for you guys i i care about you guys because 
you care about this podcast and i'll care about you anyway because you're human beings and we're all here on this planet suffering or having joy together so let's have joy or suffer together um yeah again have a very merry christmas and i'll catch you next week to wish you a very happy new year so as always i've been your host petros patsivus your guide with the crazy world of the Coppola family so remember to make sure you ring the battle bell when you want to go rooting and tooting and fighting and i'll catch you next week This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.